Alexis is a conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never right. been anybody that's right. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from their club. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat your children. It was just banter. Stay off the weed. And England win on penalties. History in itself. You know, I think it's a great city. I think they got the best organization in the NBA. But they do have some big old wins. I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why don't you take your pants off? Balls are fun. I understand. Come on, take it quickly, Reggie! Yes, good match. No one is in the fucking reserves. Listen, I ain't gonna forget about this by the time we get by the way. Hello and welcome to episode 238 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett. Joined as usual, usually by Alex Jones and uh, Goff, who uh, we seem to draft him when something is wrong in the world. Goff, you're like the Grim Reaper of the podcast. I seem to be. <laughs> as we know, uh, things didn't go to plan for England last night. We'll get into that shortly. Um, got news of the week to get into first, and then myself and TK will get into Conor McGregor and UFC 264. So, big week. Plenty of news to kick us off with. Um, no great excuse for Jack not being here. Um, obviously, he was more hungover than the rest of uh, the country. I mean, I saw TK drinking yesterday. He's made it to the podcast. Drag I, was la- I was lashing my way through the weekend. I've managed to make it onto the podcast. Um, Alex doing the same. You know, some people are just built different. <laughs> But anyway, news of the week. Uh, start as we mean to go on. Man bitten by five foot snake in genital area while sitting on the toilet at home. It's it's one of those things where you know there's no snakes in this country that can do that, but you always uh, you always just check to see there's nothing lurking in there that shouldn't be before you go. Does anybody else do that? I mean, I'm not looking for snakes, but I kind of get what you mean. Spiders, you, you name it. Anything that could do damage. Not sure which one you're using in Russell City if uh, you have a little mute. Not guilty. If you're uh, rustling around. Not guilty. I'm sat, sat quietly. Well, someone's doing some paperwork. I don't know if someone's still at work. I don't know Alex <laughs> has been there. Uh, the office. Done that before. Um, woman arrested for shooting water pistol at the Olympic torch. <laughs> 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 she protested something. Wonder, what is the uh, what is the punishment for that? Are we talking like a maybe soaker as well, or just like a little? Music? Oh, I don't go past the headline. A super soaker <laughs> would be sensational, but <laughs> if you were somewhere like America, that could be mistaken, and you probably won't make it out of the area. <laughs> um, all right, so quite dark news here, actually. Um, Devil-packed British teen found guilty of murdering sisters in bid to win lottery. I don't know if any of you have seen this story in full. Uh, 
Jesus. quite literally as it said in uh, in the headline um he planned to murder two people every uh six days i think it was going to be and buy lottery tickets each time because he believed he'd made a pact with the devil so uh once they traced the bodies back to his house um he had three lottery tickets in his possession obviously didn't win but um they found all this like material of his and they thought he'd made some like mad pact they said it was like someone out of a film but the the murders meant to be pretty grisly as well so Good thing he was caught when he was. Um, and that and that was that was in where was that in the states? London. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, it's in the news in a moment. If you have a uh, little look, uh, there is a storm producing baseball-sized hail in Iowa. Oof. No, thank you. Two Germans returned 34 pre-Columbian artefacts, including a Mayan clay bowl to Mexican embassy. Like Indiana Jones crossed with Robin Hood. <laughs> Police chase ends at McDonald's drive through as woman orders food in the middle of pursuit. How <laughs> play. Thousands of fish dropped from plane to restock Utah lakes. Oh, I've seen that. I've seen they literally do drop them from the plane. Yeah. For those who are looking up, I'm just seeing because <laughs> it wakes them up. It wakes them up. If you if you just let the if you just drop drop them in gently, they will fall to the bottom of the the, the body of water that they're in and drown. I, I could you not? What, what are they so frozen? frozen or what? So so if you watch so. Uh, <laughs> I, I learned this on Clarkson's farm because they had oh. the same, exact same discussion. But I can't literally, believe people watch him voluntarily. They, so it 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 was. I, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of Clarkson. But without getting sidetracked, I'm not a fan. But worth a watch. It's not forced. It's not. It's just a good watch. And it's got the farm side James of it. It's quite man. interesting. Not. I'm not really any of them. But it was an interesting watch from a like a farming perspective. It was earning. But they were shooting these. Um, is these fish into his this pond that he'd made um and he was like what shooting them in and he was like yeah yeah you've got to shoot them in you can't just drop them in gently otherwise they will literally they won't wake up they'll fall to the bottom and they'll be really docile and they'll drown so that's why they that's why they literally drop them in from airplanes over the lakes wakes them up American school wins legal battle to electric shock children to correct behaviour. <laughs> I feel like that's something that could be abused very easily. It's meant to be, because um, I saw I saw some of these where I've collected them through the week. It's in uh, schools for children with like disorders and things, which actually sounds more mental. It's where they have certain, it's where it's where they have like certain habits or where some of them self harm or whether they have like just particular issues and they think that if they start doing this at an early age then it'll shock them out a bit but it's it seems pretty rushed to me um it's kind of just like having a taser for kids pretty much yeah or one of them <laughs> dog collars if they want to start barking loudly did uh did uh, by any chance the the people behind this were their previous work was their previous job something to do with guantanamo bay or the ex uh, <laughs> ex-nazi party potentially i, I don't know well, funny alex these are real kids 
I know, I know. That's Jesus. what I'm saying. It. Do you look at some kids and think they deserve that, though? <laughs> I'll move on some from kids, there. Some kids are <laughs> cheating in the supermarket. So. Okay, just move um, on quickly before he goes. <laughs> woman deliberately runs 49 red lights in ex-boyfriend's car to rack up fines after he left her for another woman. Simple but effective. Unopened Super Mario 64 game from 1996 sells for $1.56 million. Jesus. South Korean toilet turns excrement into power in digital currency. That's the future. Woman dies... Woman dies after tearing artery in freak event on roller coaster. I, I have a, I have a, I have a. Going back to that one, you have just you seen said the this. story. Oh. No, go on, no. go on, go on. Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll circle back around. All right, uh, yeah, this, this woman, it was an internal artery, like the speed they say, like severed it from the inside, and she was Jesus. just bleeding. She, yeah, she was just bleeding internally, and it took them months to work out what it was. Jesus, fucking yeah. up. Yeah. You know, you know the article that you said before that about turning uh, shit into uh, yeah. what was it? Yeah, power and digital currency. <laughs> Maybe that's what Sean was up to last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, made a yeah. few quid. There was there's there's being nervous with the England game, and then there's that. But we'll get to that. <laughs> Je- Jellyfish chips full of proteins become a new recipe for culinary enthusiasts, say German boffins. Jellyfish what? Jellyfish chips full of protein. Uh, This is from German boffins, the headline says. So they're bringing that word back. I'm I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of jellyfish. Not a fan of jellyfish at all. They freak me out. Uh, honestly uh, like so i so obviously i do like open water swimming and stuff like that and i've been yeah and i've been (laughs) caught i've been caught before i thought it'd be a good idea to swim from one bay to another down in cornwall on holiday and i swim in and all of a sudden you like you caught you catch out have you got the eye the corner of your goggles like little fleck flecks of like pink and then before you know it i was swimming through like a little swarm of them it was bloody terrifying, honestly. Okay. I, I got stung like four four times, and it was like you you get through it, and then there was a bloody let another... someone piss on you, are you? <laughs> I didn't do that. Just let the salt water. I just wrote, I just wrote it out. Let the salt water do it. But it's it's horrible. They look so friendly in SpongeBob as well. Yeah. Uh, deer born in China with fifth leg protruding from the back of its head. Jesus, what other podcast is bringing you news like this? Honestly, the thing the thing is, right? You say that, but I reckon we've got a listener that must be somewhere high up at Sky News because if you look at (laughs) they are starting to drip in headlines like we break or like headlines which we put in here. I reckon somebody's listening to the podcast from Sky News and going, do you know what? They're onto something here, and they're starting to feed in these sort of headlines and put them in there. On the manager sacked, we've got. Also we have. Happened. So uh, <laughs> it's, we can't rule it out. Domino's apologises after creating a pizza that insults both Italy and England. The listed ingredients include crispy fish and chips, lemon slices, potato slices and basil, 
with a tartar sauce and tomato sauce base. This was in Japan. There's a lot of, <laughs> lot of mixes in there. And quite literally, it's lemon slices on the pizza. <laughs> Baked into it. Baked into when, it. When you, were say, when you were listing all those ingredients, I was just thinking to myself, none of that makes any sense. And then you said it was from Japan, Japan. And then yeah. it made sense. <laughs> tartar sauce and tomato sauce base. I mean, I love me some tartar sauce. But that sounds horrific. Can't go mixing the two of them together. Ugh. There's a lot there you shouldn't be mixing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and finally... Uh, my dad named me after his mistress, so mum wouldn't suspect cheating if he slipped up. <laughs> <laughs> That's your final headline today. There's some level of genius to that. Um, so there we go, yeah. Um, there's your headlines for the week. I think... Uh, <laughs> what was my favourite this week? I think jellyfish chips. That was one that made me think the most. Or the deer with the leg coming out the back of its head. I feel a bit ill for about thinking about both of them. <laughs> she wants to do a headstand, it's sorted. <laughs> anyway, from uh, that joy we've just gone through to this. England, unfortunately, did lose to Italy last night. Went as far as penalties... If we do the usual, we'll kind of start out in the pre-game and then I thought if we kind of give our take on the game, where England are moving forwards and go from there. I do have another question, but I don't know if it's going to make us look like two sore losers, so I'll uh, debate whether we ask that or not. Um, If we start off, the team selection, as always, did leak about a day and a half in advance. Um, I think that's going forward that needs to be the biggest thing that's looked at but it comes out we're, we're reverting to this uh, 5-3-2 or uh, uh, 3-4-3 or whatever it is that they ended up doing in the end Saka's been dropped Trippier has been brought in was anyone happy with the lineup going in uh, after the first few minutes then no no free game <laughs> Um, I wasn't unhappy. Um, I think at that point I was kind of just trusting Southgate's decisions with what he did against like Germany in the way that he sort of set up in the way that he did. Um, I wasn't overly worried about the fact that we were going a bit more defense, what looked like a bit more defensive against Italy. Um, I think trying to build from a defensive stronghold in a final is probably the way you want to go. But I can't, yeah, I, I can't say I was disappointed. I, disappointed to not see Saka in the starting lineup for sure. Trippier was in, but, you were happy. Um, yeah. I, I, I was, well, put it like you this, I would, had, I, 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 would have, I would have, I would have had, I wouldn't have had Mount starting over Saka. What were your thoughts, TK? Happy with the five? Uh, I can understand it. Uh, I guess to echo what AJ said, I would have had Sakharin over Mount in that position. I thought he's obviously unfortunate to be dropped. And while I can see 
why he put the team out that he did, I do think it's something we spoke on the pod before. It looked to me like he was trying to get Mount into that team rather than yeah. uh, sort of fitting what was best for that position, which I do think would have been Saka on this occasion. What were you thinking, Goff? I agree with what TK's just said in terms of it looked like he was just trying to, to shoehorn Mount in. Um, it's understandable why he went with the formation he did. Obviously, it worked against Germany. Um, it's not really surprising either because you know he's just going to try and manage the game. I think as England fans, we're always in a bit of a danger if we always want to go gung-ho against another team. Mm. Um, at the end of the day, it, it was it was not like, no disrespect to, to Denmark. Obviously, we could go more attacking against them. But when you come to a team like Germany, I get what Southgate was trying to do. It was trying to manage the game. Obviously, try and nick a goal. We, we did early on and, and go from there, really. I thought my thoughts on it would largely depend when we saw whether it was going to be a 3-4-3 or a 5-3-2. And unfortunately, it did seem to be the 3-4-3, which when it was then Mount outside right, that was the confusing thing because I think we spoke about it the week before when we were debating whether he should start. And he started, what was it, six games in his professional career right on the right wing. Mm. And it just seemed a strange way to go about it. When it was him and the 10, I think we know... He prefers him to Grealish. He prefers him to Foden if Foden was fit. Um, and so I could kind of see there. I thought it was essentially we were just going to try and have one man over every single time and smother them when they had such success kind of in and around the area. Yeah. But the game starts. Obviously, things go as much to plan as they possibly can, much like uh, Croatia in 2018. We get the early goal. Luke Shaw scores and then we look at the clock and we've got another 88 minutes to hold out <laughs> and I don't know if anyone disagrees hold out seems like pretty much that was the game plan there does anyone think we altered our way of playing because we got the goal or do you think it remained kind of business as planned we kind of we, we moved I don't know because I think in the first half I think it's kind of as good as we could have hoped you would have liked to obviously another goal maybe but I thought there was enough there that you were we weren't just camped in we still were controlling the game managing it well and then the second half I felt did just become a steady retreat so I I, I do think without going too cliche it has become a game of two halves whereby the first half it might be seen as, oh, they've got a goal and sat on it. I think we probably would have been that sort of team anyway. I think we've shown we're a bit cautious. Uh, even if we hadn't got a goal, I think we'd have played in a similar manner. Then that second half, we did look like a team that was just clinging onto a goal. And, and and I think that that went over the line from being careful and managing the game to they're defending for their lives there. So essentially, you don't think we scored two minutes in and made a conscious decision to sit back more than we would have if it was nil-nil? For the first I, half, I mean. Yeah, I, I don't know that it was in the first half. No, I don't. I think yeah. uh, I think it's just naturally that that, ha- that happens. I don't think yeah. it's a conscious thing of going, uh, right, lads are going to sit on this. I think there's partly naturally you relax into it a little bit and uh, defend a little bit more. You've now got something to lose, so nerves start coming in a little bit as well. Um, and you've not really had the chance to get much instruction on board. And obviously, whether you want to debate whether it was a tactical move to do more of that in the second half after they had the team talk, whatever. 
there's potentially more weight to that argument. Yeah, in terms of moments when we usually go through the game, there isn't many more moments to highlight until Italy obviously do go on and score. And as TK's kind of highlighted there, the second half was largely, I think probably from about, what would you say, about 35 minutes in, there was a trend pretty much from there on up until extra time where it was largely Italy with the ball forcing the action and we kind of retreated further and further and further back. When it comes to the setup, I don't know if anyone agrees that we've seen before when you have a team, say they usually play a four at the back or a team that usually plays on the front foot and then they're forced to play behind the ball. The the message from the manager almost transfers onto the pitch and you can see a team play like a scared team. And there was points during the Denmark game where we played like that, where I don't think the two are linked. But in this situation, do you think there's a there's a chance that the fact that we did accommodate our setup so much to to try and counter theirs, that that's why we kind of sank further and further and further back? Because we didn't look like a team that really believed they could go on and score another goal after we got the first one. Uh, I I think as much as it sounds like I, I could kind of see where it was, it looked like we started to sit in more and more. I, I don't think it was that. I think it was more Italy grew into the game in a much stronger way and we started to struggle to deal with them. It was a failure to read that shift in growing confidence and growing intensity from Italy that cost us um, that, well, that equaliser and then the way that the game trended after that point. Substitutions were made too late. I think there was probably, well, a tactical decision a tactical decision to read the game and make a change to trying to disrupt that growth and momentum that Italy, Italy were Italy would do, uh, build in was probably made about 20 minutes too late. I could have made... If we stick on the subs that you just mentioned there, so once we saw the way the first half started... The impression that we got, um, I know, Goff, we weren't with you, but us, we watched it together and largely what you saw online, we kind of assumed the plan was to keep it tight for 60 minutes and then we've got the firepower on our bench to come on and change the game. It was baffling to see seemingly an acceptance that the game was going all the way, even when there was still time to carry on and win it. Well, the other thing is that, is that they scored what around sixty six minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then we kind of we don't we could have I think been more proactive prior to that. And then even when then we don't we still don't even react really when it no. goes one all. It, it seems like we're starting to get a little bit leggy. So the lads probably need to change it up a bit in midfield as good as they'd been just to get some more yeah. legs on the pitch and. This was something we'd, we'd commented on before. I was kind of pushed back on some of the criticism of Southgate, but I do think one area of his management that is in question, I do think, is his in-game management in terms of seemingly not being able to read the direction of a game or do something about it and making subs too late. That seems to be his, his fatal fault, even in, in ones where we've got through. you kind of, This sub could have been made 10 minutes earlier than, than you've done it here. It's, it's, it's weird. We've we play and um, mentioned Southgate there. He, he's done nothing to dispel the the fact that he is a disgusting man. For God's sake! Well, he set he set us up like <laughs> there's like we we were playing with like an inferiority complex. Like we actively chose not to play football for large portions of the game when 
the two squads aren't that much difference when it comes to kind of technical quality. Yes, they have a better midfield, but in terms of the technical ability elsewhere, we more than have the uh, players there to put up a better fight than we did. But instead, we chose to play scared, try and nick the game. And it's baffling that this is allowed to continue. And he praised, in fact, for playing like this. Because it works for the large, for the most part. What? Well, getting to a final is all well and good, but you, you do have to win it. And that was a final there last night that was there to be won. And instead, he chose to try and nick it rather than take the final. And that's just his style of management. He, he's not going to change in that. You have some guys in the extremes. You have your Pep Guardiola's and you have your Jose Mourinho's. And there has to be a point when you do have to kind of take the handbrake off to go with the, the yeah, cliche so- style. He, it's like he doesn't know when to do it. He just he'd rather kind no. of trickle downhill than risk crashing at the bottom. Yeah, I I do agree. There was a there was a point where there was a sort of a stick or twist time. Again, I said prior to them scoring, actually, I think this occurred, and uh, and he kind of really didn't didn't even stick. Just kind of did nothing. Uh, but I, I do think, and I know got briefly touched on this that as England fans, we naturally have this kind of thing that we should go gung ho. And to some extent, you see some of the attacking players we have, there is justification for wanting to see more of it. But I do think, had we, and, and this is entirely hypothetical, but had we gone out and he did go all guns blazing from the jump and we got battered by Italy, zero people, I mean zero, would stand up and go, well, you know what, lads? I'd criticise Southgate for being a bit negative before. But thank God he went for it. We got battered 3-0. But nobody would put their head above the parapet and say that. So as much we as we speak about it like it's just extremes, though, like as if there isn't a middle ground there. No, no, no. I and I, I do agree that there is a, a middle ground to be found. But I do think that we do review, sort of revise things to go right. We should have just gone out all that attack. And, and again, it's it's kind of easy to say it when you aren't the manager, and you're never going to be held responsible for it. We spoke about Arteta when he had the spell before things kind of went uh, horribly wrong where we said okay it's all well and good if you're getting kind of the defence sorted out and then you start banging the goals in afterwards but it looks like a team that is only trying to just nudge past games and so you do have to have quite literally a perfectly executed game plan or you're going to lose the games and Against the teams that we did play, we were given chances where we were going to get enough of them, even if things weren't perfect. There were patches of the game where we surrendered the control. And last night, the way that was set up, Harry Kane didn't have a single shot in the game. And so when, you, when you're setting up like that in a game like this, you have to be perfect. And the criticism is going to come your way then if it's not. Mm. I do see where you're coming from as well, Luke, in that, it does seem that if the game's not going in the way that Gareth has obviously set up and planned it to, certainly to all, as the game went on, we just seemed to go to our panic stations, run out of ideas completely. So it, it's almost like Gareth never has a plan B. It's always, OK, we'll, we'll settle for this, take it to, like last night, for example, was, oh, let's just get it to full time, see what happens in extra time kind of thing is what I felt it was going. You can take the numbers with a pinch of salt because obviously uh, the likes of Saka were on the pitch, the likes of uh, Sterling were largely playing the minutes in the tournament. But 
the attacking options we had far outnumbered the defensive options we had, perhaps other than in right back, would you would say? Rashford played 84 minutes across the tournament. Jaden Sancho played 97 minutes across the tournament. Um, Phil Foden, 159. Jack Relish, 172, were also used kind of sporadically throughout. The large proportion of those minutes were against Ukraine or against the Czech Republic when we were trying to uh, ensure we topped the group. I'm not saying those players should have had far more and you should have maybe split it between those minutes, but it just seems strange when the thing that almost every country points out when they look at our country's squad and our national pool is, wow, I'd love to have that attacking talent at my disposal. And then you don't play in a way that makes the most of that. It, it's just, it's just baffling to see from an out from the outside looking in. Mm, it's it's tricky as well though in terms of the situation with the attacking players. For example, we we essentially got into a situation where we decided Kane's undroppable. Yeah. Sterling can't be dropped even because he's scoring the goals. So you're kind of playing for the last position, which Saka yeah, yeah, kind of made his own. Which where my criticism would lie with playing Mountner instead. I think Saka was a better choice there, or even probably Sancho, someone just actually who's more suited to that position. But the kind of thing with the we've got all these attacking players, but you do have to kind of get them into a team, and as acknowledged yeah, by ourselves, sure. it is hard to get them into that team. Yeah, that's why I said to take it with a pinch of salt because I think the numbers are a little misleading there when you do actually try and squeeze those minutes in throughout the tournament. Just the fact that when we all went into the tournament, we were looking at your Grealishes, your Fodens, and it doesn't seem too difficult to last night say, if we're not going to win the midfield battle, then we need to have quality at the the other end to ensure that we're going to do it. it just makes very little I, sense. I think we needed it. something to kind of scare them. As they grew more and more comfortable in the game, you could see almost that they were like, well, look, I know they haven't got anything for us going the other way. They're not building any sort of possession. They can't get a counter-attack going. So we're just going to keep pressing and attacking and we don't have to worry about what's behind us. So if you get people like Grealish, Saka, etc., on earlier, I think you, you give them that threat. And again, we could have taken it to 2-0 or certainly responded to going uh, going back to one all as well. It's easier said than done, but the times when Italy were troubled in the tournament, they were few and far between, was when the teams actively tried to get at them and they didn't yeah. pay yeah, them exactly. that respect. And sinking in against an Italian side that want to have that much of the ball, it's like playing Man City and backing off them. The teams actually had success against them this year, largely with the teams it. that got at them because they aren't used to it so much and you force these guys that are used to having so much time on the ball to have that uh, split second less and they panic a bit. Like Spain that, that kind all, of like, showed that as well, didn't they, against them? They nearly had them. They kind of laid out a bit of a blueprint. Well, if you compare like Morata's performance against Spain mm. to uh, Kane's and you look at the bloke that we laugh at and the bloke that yeah, people were yeah, saying yeah. this week is he the best in the world? <laughs> It's just, it's just not a good look. I mean, when it comes to the penalties, that's ultimately, you can say that the 120 minutes beforehand were meaningless. If once it's got to penalties and it's just down to 10 spot kicks to see who's going to take the trophy. Who was confident with Pickford? Because I think 
even if you didn't think Pickford was bad on penalties, which I don't think any of us thought he was, the point when he hugs Donnarumma <laughs> before they go and everyone's like, we've got the smallest keeper in the world here and they've got this Goliath between the posts. Yeah, I did see someone say when Donnarumma went in there, they thought it was like a five-a-side goal. <laughs> <laughs> scarily big, that man. So they obviously take the first penalty and they score. Kane steps up first. We score. I was happy Kane went first. I, I do hate when someone yeah. kind of is yeah. saved for the fifth um, when you have kind of a lack of uh, serious options there. Second one steps up, Andrea Velotti saved, and we're all daring to dream again. <laughs> we said while watching, you've got to score the next one after they miss. It's the most irritating thing in the world when they miss and you miss straight after and just kind of give the momentum straight back. Maguire puts in one of the best penalties you're ever going to see in your life. My <laughs> words. Broke the camera. Yeah. Not believe it. Insane. Benucci steps up, sends in the wrong way. Rashford steps up. Almost in slow motion, you see Donnarumma go the wrong way. Mm. Yeah. And then so does the ball go. That was the big one, wasn't That was the big moment, I think. That was the turning point. I think at that point, we we weren't necessarily criticising the penalty takers. We may have kind of screwed our face up at Maguire a bit. He puts the ball in after. Rashford if you take out the timing of it, would anyone have been complaining pre-tournament if we were told it was going to go into penalties and then we saw Rashford as one of the first five? I, I imagine most of us would think that's, that's the right thing to be doing. I think he's comfortably our second best penalty taker, isn't he? If, yeah. if you thought of this pre-tournament, you'd have to obviously Kane and then Rashford's the next logical choice, I think. Yeah. Bernadeschi then puts the ball in and then Sancho steps up and we're asking between us, does, does Sancho take penalties? Is is what are we thinking here? And it's not a great penalty. It's it's not a it's not a horrific penalty. I mean, it's not Kane's against Denmark. He's put it towards the corner. He tries to get it as low as possible, probably a bit higher than he'd like. And suddenly we're staring at the jaws of defeat. Jorginho steps up. We're all assuming, like this, Never he's not misses. saving this. Never misses. Yeah. No. Pickford pulls another one to say up the bag. And then we see Saka stepping up. And even the most solid Arsenal fans in the world are going to tell you they didn't have the most confidence there. A guy that's never taken a professional penalty in his in his career. Um 19 years old, the youngest player um on the pitch, one of the youngest at the tournament. It it was just very strange, wasn't it? it? It made very little sense. Unless we're going to be told, and I'm sure someone's going to tell us this post-game, that Saka's scored 100 penalties in training since they've been there. It, it seemed an odd choice. It's once One, for it to be the fifth penalty, and two, just for him to be stepping o- up over some other experienced pros. Yeah, I, I, the thing is, he can score 100 penalties in penalty, in training, but yeah. it's very different to a European final. At that sure. point, the, like these are all every player in that team, 
you'd expect as professional football players, they should be able to put it on target at the least. Not Maybe not be the highest of finesse, but all of them should be able to put it on target. I mean, uh, Maguire, who's a centre-back, proved that he can he can put a decent penalty in. You pick your penalty takers based on composure and experience in a situation like that. You know, it's... it's Saka thought, taking taking Saka, he yeah. didn't look confident no. on the walkout. I mean, to be honest, he didn't look confident. Like uh, he's got one of the. I don't know if it's just me, but he, when he subbed on in periods of pressure, uh, like when he was subbed on, he looked nervous. I thought um, he seemed to get more gun shy as the tournament went on and the stakes yeah, were raised. Mm. Yeah, and that's and that's fine. Like you, see, like you said, he's the young youngest player in our team. He's got the yeah, yeah, on on the pitch. You know, you, you'd expect that. You'd expect that. Even then, he he was probably his worst game of the tournament once he did come on, and he he wasn't. <laughs> he, he, was as, he was bullied. He was bullied. Well, yeah, we had a couple of chances where he shifted out to the wing. A lot of the times, we were being forced to kind of play inside. He, he nicks it from Keely. The, the one thing with him is he isn't going to shy away. I did think during extra time some of the players were hiding away but they didn't want the ball that's why we had to keep hoofing it long just just a comparison to put some things into perspective and this doesn't include penalty shootouts I've got the numbers of penalties taken in their pro career for our penalty takers compared to theirs in the squad so Grealish has taken one penalty for Aston Villa no penalties for Saka, none for Maguire, three for Sancho, 14 for Rashford, over 40 for Kane, five for, five for Sterling, three missed. Italy. Yeah, I did. I did oh, by yeah. the way, just touching on that, I did see yeah. people say, yeah, why is it Sterling stepping up? I was like, he's the last one I want to see. <laughs> yeah. He's going behind Pickford in my list. Now, the Italian penalty takers, and this doesn't include penalty shootouts, Bellotti's taken 31 in his career. Benucci's taken none, but he has taken five in penalty shootouts for Italy and scored all five. Blimey. Um, Berardi has taken 41. Bernadeschi's taken 12. Jorginho, 33. They still had Florenzi, who'd taken seven, and he wasn't even picked as one of the first five. Yeah, that's mad. <laughs> Which you'd think the analytics guys... It seems odd to play for penalties when you when you're presented with those numbers, unless you are buying into the kind of it's a lottery. Like that seemed to be kind of that seemed to be, didn't it? It seemed to be we're out of ideas on the pitch. We'll just uh, almost have the toss of a coin of, of penalties, which, as you've just said, with the numbers there, it seems less like a, a lottery than people would have you believe. And I guess part that is part of my thing that I didn't have quite as big. I wouldn't have had Saka on the fifth penalty myself, but I didn't have quite as big an issue with it as some, in that I think our choices were somewhat scarce anyway. I don't think... Yeah, the, um, the Saka one... They said Sorry. before that, that it clearly it was about what was going on in training, because let's face it, I don't think Maguire would have been on the top of this otherwise. So <laughs> no, no. in training. And I think they've already said that that's essentially how Saka ended up there. But you, you'd assume someone like Greedish would have probably just... That was my issue with Saka, was I didn't... As much as he's 19 years old, I can see that you might back him. He's clearly 
strong mentally. Yeah. He's reliable. For, you know, we've spoken about before that in a kind of chaotic situation at Arsenal, he's often the most reliable player. He's kind yeah. of strangely mature. So I can see why you'd back him in that regard. I wouldn't be too worried about his age. It was more the sort of how clean a striker of a ball is he? And well, I don't his, know that he'd be ahead of someone like Grealish in my mind for this. So his finishing is the, the trait that lets him down. Like there's mm-hmm. an Arsenal, and it's very simple to say, but you kind of look at the Arsenal fans on Twitter, you look at kind of what the people around him say, and they essentially say, like, if this kid sorts his finishing out, then he's going to be a freak. Like, mm. because he's yeah. got just about everything else. At Arsenal, I genuinely don't think if you took the squad, he'd be in the top 10 people you'd select for a penalty. Like, Aubameyang, Lacazette, Pepe, Xhaka, Tierney, Maitland-Niles, yeah. Partey, Bellerin, all have taken penalties ahead of Saka. And that's in games like Community Shield and things like that. It's, yeah, for sure. It's, it's strange. And even then, the, the placement... I know you don't want to put Kane fifth, but just someone that has a bit more yeah, about yeah. them as, as the fifth one. Luke Shaw scored in the Europa League final. I was just United. about to say that. Luke Shaw's was a very good penalty from what I remember as well. And well, they all were, weren't his they? His confidence must be off the charts. So you'd yeah. think he'd be up there, wouldn't you? And, and I don't see why he'd lie. Grealish says he offered to take one and obviously he wasn't selected in that first five um, I think you could tell that by the cameras showing his reaction when Gareth was telling them all as well yes yeah I, I thought that he, he got I think you like him a lot you'd, you'd back him to step up wouldn't you you'd back that he would yeah. take well, my guess is that he was probably going to be like sixth or seventh like you know for the sudden death but... yeah. I guess that was kind of my thing with Saka as well is as much as the fifth one obviously is the pressure pen they're all pressure pens after that so if you're saying, sure. well, sure. someone should have gone ahead of him you're assumingly saying that that person would have scored. So he would have had a pressure at some point, wouldn't he? Yeah. You know what I mean? I think the the main thing people believe is that, and I don't believe there's anyone there, and pros may tell us different, that is going to say, I don't want to take one. But I think there's a point where Southgate probably says, right, does everyone feel confident taking one? And you may have a couple of players looking at the floor all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. There's a difference between saying I'll take one and yes, yeah. isn't there? There's a big because difference. we saw, didn't we? There's as we just kind of referenced, you saw Southgate point at Grealish, and I said at the time Grealish is taking one. Southgate's just pointed at him, mm. and I saw a lot of others say that. But but we, then I guess maybe to go back on what I said in uh, in Grealish's tweet coming out about this, he says I said I will take. And it, you know, if he doesn't, say, if he says, "Oh, I will take one," there is a difference between saying, "And right, give me one," and sort of demanding it. Whereas, so I imagine Southgate is probably going around looking at him, saying, "Right, like you said, who's got the sort of confidence about it?" I agree. This is confidence, lad. So if he comes across as anything but fully convinced, he's going to have it. Maybe, maybe he would question. It well, could know... just Gareth doesn't fancy him. He seems to not rate yeah. him like everyone else does, anyway, doesn't he? Well, I know he's his biggest defender. Stan Collymore has been doing some Grealish propaganda uh, today on Twitter. <laughs> he says the first thing Grealish said to him when he saw him after the game was, I wanted to take one. And he said that he really wanted to make that very clear that Grealish wanted to take a penalty. Well, that sort of falls top of the list of he would say that, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, You're not going to go I mean. and be like, look, I didn't want one. No. <laughs> I'll speed it. That's what I mean. But like, it, it's Sterling is clearly... And I know a lot of them haven't put anything out there yet, but I don't need to say anything. Like, 
I, I would have taken one, but I, I'm sure he also wasn't putting his hand up saying, "Go on, give me one." Yeah, it's it's just it's just frustrating that when when you reflect now, is it too early for reflection? Kind of in terms of, well, we had a good tournament, blah blah blah, so on so on. Uh, I'll ask that uh, question next week. It emotionally feels very close. To <laughs> well, then, so Southgate spoke last night and he said um, he needs some time to, to digest the disappointment and recalibrate both mentally and physically. Um, and he, he essentially was kind of non committal when it came to whether he'd be signing a new contract. We know mid tournament, before we even played Germany, the FA people came out and said, look, we're, we've got, there's a new contract on the table. If he wants to stay for the World Cup, he can stay. Now, as someone that has called him the things I have, which actually sounds probably worse than what I have said about him, <laughs> I, I, will, I will freely admit that if the FA have this thing where after Capello, and I'm not sure that's the leg to stand on, but we seemingly can only have an English manager in this position we don't produce very good managers is an issue. And so I don't think the competition is there, that there's a obvious standing because the main name that most people say is Lampard. And it's like, well, come on, come on. Like, yeah, you're not charming me here. <laughs> if, and there's probably a larger discussion to have about this. And I, cause only I'll ask you, cause I know you're quite big on him. If Chris Wilder came out tomorrow, did a press conference said, look, Respect Gareth for what he's done. I believe I can take us further in the World Cup. Would you see that as an upgrade? Would you welcome him taking over? And do you think a manager like him or say, I feel weird saying Wenger, but just a manager with a very clear way of playing, way of like playing. Southgate's yeah. very yeah, yeah. simple, isn't he? He's mm. would do the basics. Someone that, let's say it was like Bielsa offering up, do you think they could do that in international football to the point where it would be an upgrade? And I've just asked the Chris Wilder question, basically. But so I don't, I don't think Chris Wilder is getting England to a World Cup final. If you're saying that we're going to go one step further than Southgate, in my opinion, I think I'm, I'm not sure. I think that either. I've just the trouble, the trouble with Southgate is, is the negativity comes from his style of play, yeah. and the way he manages games, whereas. You can't deny that we haven't progressed under him. Um, but when he first took over, if if people had turned around and said, oh, by the way, we're going to get to the World Cup semis and the final of the Euros during his tenure, I'm pretty sure people would have bitten their hand off or just laughed someone out of the room for saying that. Like, On the contrary, do you think if you had the list of opponents lined up and put in front of you, would you say that we would beat that competition? I'm not sure I would. But uh, no, no, I don't think you would at all. You've got to think as well, like the trouble, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but the trouble with ourselves as English fans is we do tend to put ourselves as on some sort of pedestal in that we yeah. should always be up there, as in like the top two, top four yeah. in each yeah. competition. You've got to think that since, was it World Cup 2006, we got to the quarterfinals of a major competition once before Southgate yeah. took over. Agreed, yeah. Um, so I think our trouble is, yeah, we are we are normally one of like the best eight, best ten teams in the world, but we tend to think that we should we have a god given right to be up there in the finals or semi finals. 
which is yeah. our biggest problem, I think. Uh, I, I think, think Southgate, South, sorry, Southgate's obviously put us up into that bracket where we at least see ourselves. Yeah, I don't disagree. Yeah. I do also I, think uh, that, well, there's there's a kind of a feeling that Southgate's kind of fortunate that he's got such a talented group of players. And it's kind of like, well, I think anyone would have got us here where that does, you know, piggybacking off what Goss just said, does totally ignore our recent history where we've had loads of talent and just no ability to form a team and a structure that will actually be successful. Under Southgate, we have been able to do that. So it kind of indicates that he has got something and this isn't a this isn't an accident that's happened. Sven gave him that backhanded compliment, didn't he? Did you see that? What was he say? It was like, uh, he does have, it was something along the lines of, and I'll get the exact quote, it was something like, he's done very well, he, he, he does have a great squad of players there, but I suppose he does have to play them. Um, let's see what it was. Sven, you, you have one or two talented players yourself, boss. <laughs> <laughs> and the other so, thing I will so, say for what Gareth's done, as much as we don't, we're, I guess we're maybe even questioning what his style is, but if you look at the way in some of these games we've been able to retain the ball and look after the ball, it's yeah. kind of a staple of international football that we've consistently said needs you've got to be good at it if you're going to succeed. And we've got much better at it with you know a team like Rice and Phillips midfield where we couldn't have done this when we had the likes of Gerard Lampard, Scholes, etc. We couldn't retain the ball like we have. So there are there are elements to it that he's improved that I think we're probably overlooking because we've just lost. Yeah, if, I, if, if I'm being real, I, I think for him, I think it's tweaks is what he needs. It's just whether he's open and he sees those as something that he needs to improve. Yeah. Just yeah. Think, this, it's very tough to change your mentality, isn't it? Like you kind of, you, you know what yeah. you, you want yeah. to do. Well, I, I'd say when you look at how we were in the World Cup, the teams definitely come on from the World Cup. We're performing better. Um, there's been some stronger wins. Um, it wasn't, we had a nice run after Germany, um, but there's definitely been some improvement there with the way that we play and how we go about it. Um, the thing is, with the World Cup only being next year, there is a rare opportunity here of where you haven't got a two year gap. Um, a lot can change in two years. Just um, hold on a minute there, because I, I do have a task for us, which I think you're about to get into. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I don't. No, no, I'm not. I'm just. I'm, I'm just saying, like, without without going into detail, it's me saying it's a rare opportunity. The obviously international football, you know, you a lot of these players are probably still going to be in the squad next time for the World Cup. Um, you might have a few other players that have slightly fallen out, slightly fallen in form, but it's 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 a close enough period of time that you can keep the squad quite nicely knitted together. And you can start to work in some more attacking football. Yeah. You can hang on, sort of, hang on a minute. You, can build you, you are dangerously close to his uh, thing. I can sense. Yeah. I yeah. can feel well, him getting well, clammy over I've, the. Uh... I've, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've got one question, and then we're going to give Southgate. If we had to, if we were the FA and we had to give him a checklist of things like this is what we need you to work mm-hmm. on in time for uh, the World Cup. Um, so what Sven did say is he said uh, he admits Gareth Southgate has been blessed with so much young talent. <laughs> but he does he does deserve some praise for giving them a chance. Um, so that 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 was what he said there. The question I did have, and I wasn't sure if it would come across as sour grapes after the way things concluded yesterday. Um, 
and that's as to whether penalties should be the way to decide a cup final and things like this. When you look at uh, ice hockey, for example, they don't feel that a shootout is a way to even determine a playoff game. And so they'll keep playing on the pitch until someone scores the golden goal and they'll have some kind of parameters in place to ensure that happens. Do you think there's an opportunity to move away from penalties? Do you think if there was such a thing as golden goal was taken away, I think for good reason in that it perhaps took away some drama. Do you think golden goal should be something that kicks in after the period of extra time and it could be decided there on? Do you think that would ruin the spectacle? Do you think you could still have a good encounter? I, 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 I like things. that. So in hockey, I, I, every so often, you remove a player from both sides until you're down to it. There's a maximum that you can uh, lose. And it just opens the pitch up more. So in so hockey is uh, three periods of 20 minutes. And then after that, in a playoff game, you quite literally play until someone scores. Yeah, okay. Because you are talking about, I know they're, they're athletes, but you are talking about people running for 120 minutes and then playing on further than that. You're just asking for injury after injury, surely. Well, I guess the point is that it shouldn't carry on too long because someone should make a mistake before it's too long. And if, if you are taking players off the pitch, then it should open things up more. But I do also take your point there in terms of injuries but I guess that's part of what the tournament is supposed to be isn't it in that you have a squad and you're supposed to go that way around it even if yeah I, I get that I, th- I think that we probably wouldn't be having this debate if we'd have won on penalties <laughs> that's that's why I was hesitant to say it, but the debate around penalties has been going on for long before we we'd exited this this week it just seemed a opportune time to mention it in any kind of suggestions that would be probably that would be probably the fairest way of doing it, but you'd you'd be fine until you had your first two hundred minute game and you're like, please just <laughs> just end with somebody, please stick it in your own net if you have to. Yeah, it's like it's, by, half the time it, it's never. I was going to say half the time we go to extra time, everyone goes, can we just skip straight to pens? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's because you have penalties at the end of it. Yeah, if you don't have the option, I guess then. I think would it I, I, take some of the excitement out if it was just carry on going on and on? Would you like not necessarily lose a bit of interest if you were watching the game? I guess you are also set up to, to get a goal, aren't you, that way? Then often in extra time, at least one of the teams is set up to just go right with defending and seeing how the shootout goes, yeah. aren't we? Mm-hmm. I guess at least you have to go and try and get a goal. Hockey's obviously a lot more back and forth anyway, so it it's comparing apples and oranges in some cases, but the premise, I think, is something that you could test out maybe at a lower level and just see kind of how it plays. Because if, if you had, and we're going like full American here, so you, if you had, say, big Royal Rumble star, you have a timer on as to at what point you're going to lose another player. And this is very to the extreme. There are ways you could make more fun out of it and make it more respectable than it just being Right, we're just going to keep playing until someone scores now. Go full on Hunger Game style and take a player out every <laughs> five minutes. They'll, they'll definitely be attacking then. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there's plenty of ways to do it. There's some that would never happen. I mean, I love the idea of you both having your best two players and you going one on one 
and just seeing who wins. Imagine, <laughs> imagine a World Cup, you've got Ronaldo and Messi going one-on-one. They're, they're their own rush keepers and everything. Unbelievable. <laughs> I think it's just never going to happen, though, because you've got so many nowadays. That, that's so many, I know. But I mean, the it, extra time it, thing, it, I could see. No, 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 I, no, no. The extra time thing, I don't think it will ever happen. It will always be a penalty shootout because there's so many, so many character factors that are brought into a TV, like a, a football match now, with the TV broadcasting, travel, um, all of the organisation from a security perspective. But you don't think hockey is the same? That's live sport. Yeah, but it's not as big. It's, not, it's nowhere near as big as football. You, you think you've got an entire, you've got a stadium full. Of like well, Wembley, yeah, but it's we, not as it's not as big. It's just we've got to go back to the replays. We've got to go back to right. It's a draw. <laughs> right, see you, see you again this time next week. Yeah, imagine imagine that Scotland game. In a weird way, so like I, 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 there was a lot of there was a lot of extra time and then penalties in this tournament, um, and I found myself particularly with when you like take Spain. Um, uh, Spain and Italy game, and um, uh, I'm trying to think of the other ones now, but it, it was Austria. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really and Fra- uh, France, um, France, France, Switzerland. The the entertaining thing was, I found myself watching it, um, and I was thinking to myself, oh, yes, extra time because it's such a great watch. Like it was so, it was such a great game to watch the drama. I will even admit as hard as it was to watch, even when we went to extra time against Denmark, a part of me was thinking it's been a long time. It's been a while that we've been sort of, you know, it, it, it was, it was the ride that the ride was, Blimey. it was bloody terrifying, but the ride yeah, was going to last him for a bit longer. If yeah. You know it's great I mean. win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like give me that. If it went to extra time and we lost against Denmark, it would have been like, Oh my fucking God. But it's- at the same time, it, it goes to extra time and it's like, for all of the heartache and pain, it was like, I'm going to get another 30 minutes of... That's been one of the, the good parts of this tournament. I mean, it's been a good tournament as a whole, but one of the fortunate elements for them is that every extra time, other than the final, ironically, has kind of lived up to its billing. It's kind of... They have been good. Whereas, I think there was, we've spoken about it on the pod before, a time period where extra time was almost redundant, where both teams were just like knackered, neither really wanted to attack, and you, like, we may yeah. as well have gone to Penzi. Whereas it kind of felt like there was always something on the line in extra time leads, and teams actually wanted to try and win the game in it. Do you think, do you think that was the point we have the truth usually? Do you think that was, uh, do you think the extra substitutions had a, play, a, a factor in that? Potential. Yeah, potentially. If we, if we assume that Southgate's staying on, I think he was just probably quite emotional last night and doesn't want to be saying, I'm about to put my pen to paper on a brand new contract well straight after. I don't know if any of you saw the interview. They were asking him, how do you think we can fare at the World Cup just after losing the Euro final? <laughs> um, so if we were in the boardroom at the FA, and I think this would be, if there's anyone listening, we're your guys, basically. Um, what would be maybe your bullet points that you present to Southgate and say, look, these are the things that you're going to be judged on. These are the things I expect you to do. Um, as an example, to start off with, I would say you've got two great young talents in Phil Foden and Jude Bellingham. You've got several friendlies and qualifiers to go until the World Cup. I'd like you to work these two players in 
so they're ready for when we do go to the big tournament next time. Um, thing is, it's it the club side of the club side of the game is it, a lot of it with the pressure that will come under to pick players in form. The club side of their careers is going to play a huge factor in whether they should be selected for England or not. Alex, we're the FA here. We're, yeah, we're not we're, talking about form. We're yeah. saying these are your targets to set out. This is what you should look to do. I don't want to hear your excuses, Gareth. We've set your targets. <laughs> uh, I, I think he needs to... Uh, what, in terms of just saying yes to that? Someone I'm else come in here. Someone else come in. <laughs> Somebody's wearing a life jacket. This Somebody is what else. AJ's trying to say. Like, you can't, if the FA turned around and said, right, you have to shoehorn Bellingham in, I'm not saying it. I'm saying he's only saying it as an aim, though, isn't he? He has to achieve it. No, I'm just saying. Say, for example, Bellingham is playing atrociously for Dortmund. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And say, for example, just been taken too literally. Just say Henderson is playing very, very well for Liverpool. You're not going to then select Bellingham on the basis of the fact that the FA have told you to. No, but I think we've seen previously where we stick with players and their time's coming to an end, and then we get to the tournament and they say. These players aren't ready. They're, these players, like we, we went in and you looked at Italy that, um, last night, and we could probably have named their team before going in. And we could probably have named their team before the tournament. And that was even with Verratti injured. And so, I mean, we've got these young, talented players. And so you should be basing your team around them and you should be finding that. Because the next one I would have is have a clear system that you're planning to use going into the next one. Rather than yeah, it being, think, oh, we're going to play a four-three-three. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, but I, I, I'm. That's the thing. You can't. He can't base you. You. You can't. The, it, the club side of the game. The, the club. The club what side. What the hell the club, are you talking about, man? The the club side of the game dictates <laughs> the players that are going to be in the international squad. Right. You're saying that you want to shoot. You want to. You're saying that. Right. Yeah. You're saying. Difficult, man. For the for the no, sake of. For the sake of the thing, though, is that every for the sake of his thing is that everything kind of is as it is now, isn't it? So it's not. I'm not saying in 18 like, months. You have yeah, to well. put Jude Bellingham in every single team you have. I'm saying we've got a player here who the whole world is saying is one of the most talented young midfielders we have. I don't think we should get to the point where we're at a tournament and we don't have say. Like it, it took us getting to this tournament to see that Rice and Phillips could play this well together who's to say we could have been better off if previously there'd been a plan in place and we're going to develop this partnership here and see how this goes we're ready when we get to the tournament Mm. when you look at say Bellingham now I think you should weigh up is Jordan Henderson going to be someone that I'm going to be relying on in the World Cup in 18 months time when he's 32 years old or am I better off in the short term perhaps having a lesser side in friendlies, which are meaningless, and having Jude Bellingham pick up these minutes and play alongside the players that we're going to go into the tournament with and build the team around him. Am I better off, say, having whether it was time ago, and I can't think of an appropriate player, but say you have some 28, 29-year-old player. Say you have the opportunity to have Danny Ings in there. He's in great form. And then you've got Mason Greenwood on the side and you say, I don't want to go into the tournament with Mason Greenwood not having these minutes picked up at striker yeah, for England. Yeah. Am I better off in the short term doing this and just say, you've got this core here, so we're ready next time and you're not calling these players up to make their debut in an international tournament. Let's try and have some kind of things so that they're comfortable 
when it gets to that stage, whether it's we're going to play some variation of, and I know TK, you said there that you think Gareth did know what we had. So I, I agree with that when it got there in the end. I think we do know what he liked. But say we're going to have four at the back and then you know how your wing-backs are going to play with your midfield, whether you're going to have a midfield three and you can have the partnership working together. It's just so we're not playing a two up front and we're going to have, say, Kane and someone for the whole time now and we get to the World Cup and he says, you know what, actually, I think we'd be better off with a one up front when we play Italy and then we don't know what we're doing. I just think there should be some forward planning in place rather than the here and now club form do that. Uh, right, Hopefully I, I get what you're a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. I get no, I get I get exactly what you're saying. And I agree with you. There should be some forward planning. But the point is, is that I don't think that he has that kind of opportunity because so much can change in the space of a year, a little over a year now on the club level. Joe Bulling could like uh, Bulling could you, drop off the Joe, Joe Bulling could dr- drop off the yeah, face. But on the hypothetical on this, this is just this is what you're aiming to do. And the assumption yeah. is that over 18 months, he'll be fully fit and is going to carry on his development. And there isn't, you know, you know Dortmund are going to let you play him in a friendly and, and things like that. Don't come into it. This is just what you would aim to do in his shoes. But when you play a FIFA career mode or a football manager, it, it gives you your objectives and this is what you're going to be judged on, basically. Yeah. I guess I, what I'm trying to say is I think it's, it's, it, I don't. I think to judge the England manager or an international manager on, I, I like. There's a lot of variables that can obviously affect it, isn't there? Yeah, this is but, yeah as hypothetical as it but, gets. It's yeah. just essentially like you're yeah. looking to the next well, tournament I, now. I, I'm trying to see some positives. I think uh, an aim to trying uh, manipulate a system that gets the best out of. Uh, someone like Foden, who you would assume within the next eighteen months is only going to get better. Yeah, exactly. I think that would, that would probably have to be within there. But Grealish. yeah, exactly. Him and Grealish. But again, we are going back to the thing of we can't get all of these players in the team. <laughs> particularly, well, that's the that's the thing. Particularly, well, Foden's at City at the moment, and if you can have Grealish go into City as well, which has obviously gone quiet again, and we haven't heard any more on it. Yeah, Guardiola. Guardiola isn't going to be buying in 100 million Grealish just so he can't play Foden. He's got to have some sort of idea in his mind of where those two are playing together, all of which translates into a good potential opportunity for England to get them into build some sort of forward forward, um, forward system involving both of them being on the pitch at the same time. Yeah. Well, when it gets to the next World Cup, Jordan Henderson, Kyle Walker and Kieran Trippier are all going to be 32 years old. I it's think too, it's not too old, is it? It's not like no, you know, no. Uh, it's not. Like, I think you, you you need to essentially make the decision fairly early on if that's the way you're going, because obviously you do need some experienced guys in there. And yeah, I think yeah. Henderson's probably the one who would be most at risk of those, and it's whether you try to build it now because you don't want it to be a controversy when it gets to the end of the tournament, when it gets to tournament time. So you need to essentially make your decision fairly early, and it's Henderson has to fight his way back in rather than Henderson being the, the guy on the team sheet and the guy that you want to have your future have to kind of force him out. I just, I just had a weird, uh, I just had a weird, <laughs> weird thought process in my mind there where I'm getting swept up in the English patriotism of uh, wanting to go and win the world cup. I was thinking to myself, 
maybe maybe I want Kane and Grealish to go to City just so Guardiola can uh, <laughs> build a system, yeah. build a system of where we have those three all firing together, so we can literally put them in the England squad and rinse and repeat. It's just like so even, can, maybe we could do that. <laughs> even like the right back thing, like it, it was a thing for the tournament, and it's less of a thing when you're playing like two friendlies in an international break. So he's got Carl Walker, Kieran Trippier, Trent, and Reese James there that he's got to make a decision with. And we don't want it to be a controversy when we're 18 months down the line. How old is Trent? How, how, how old's Trent now? Trent's the youngest of the lot, is he not? Yeah, he is by quite some way, I thought. Isn't it? It's, 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 it's yeah. Trent and then Reese then yeah, James sure, and then sure the other two. Going down the, the nurturing the players route, you go with Trent and Reese James and then obviously Walker is some sort of back. That's, that's the kind of thing I mean. Just these kind of decisions. So it's forward thinking, basically. So what I mean, I, I wouldn't be, I, I would be, particularly in the particularly in the games um, in the in the English international matches that we've got coming up in, let's say, before the end of the year, I would be, I would agree that you want to be playing, well, arguably the youngest possible squad that we could play. Um, now is like probably now is the time for a bit of a lot of experimentation and building from there. I mean, you can get away with some bad young performances against some. Um, you know, he's not going to be hounded straight after a, a final. We don't want to see a 4-3-3 the next game and then a 4-5-1 the game after and then a 5-3-2. And we want to see something where we know where we're going and the team are going to be more familiar then when it gets to that situation. Because 120 minutes to be drilled into a formation that you've not played before as a unit in that situation is draining both physically and mentally in that situation. Yeah. In terms of just knowing where you're supposed to be, and all these things do add up, I guess, when it gets to crunch time. And if we're serious, and if if we're in the FA and we're saying to Gareth, and I'm not sure we're saying you need to go and win the World Cup, but maybe we're saying you need to go out there and be competitive and hold yourself in in good stead, then these are the kind of like minute details that ensure you get there. I are we can I just check? We were on, are we all in agreement that we wanted Southgate, Southgate to remain as our manager? I, I don't see, I, even after what I've said, I would need someone to be a clear level up to to be the difference. Like say, and this is the one, I think Richard Keyes was saying this today, which is hard to uh, even quote on here. Align yourself with Richard Keyes again. Yeah. Well, there's the thing where Wenger, I think, was quoted in like 2008 or something like that, where he said, the generation of English players you see coming through, I'd love to be English English manager before the end of my career and see what I could do with them, basically. Mm. I think if, say, Wenger said tomorrow, you know what, give me 18 months with this crop of players and we'll see what we do. Then I think if you're in charge of the FA, you take that experiment and you say, I can wait at what he's done, I can wait at what Southgate's done and we'll ride this out. If it goes right, it goes wrong. If Frank Lampard comes out and says, you know what, I had a good time with Mason Mount at Derby and Chelsea, and I think I can be the one to take you to the World Cup in 2022. <laughs> then you say, look, we don't think you're a bad manager, but you're probably not worth us disrupting what we have. So, yeah, I would need something. I'd need a significant level up to do it. And I, I even if it's just him bringing in another coach alongside, just someone yeah, who can maybe just thinking. tweak a little something, because he does have a, a good set of coaches there. He does have a good experienced bunch. If he could bring in someone who could like open it up, like in the with all that attacking flair, will yeah, just something, just just something like that. Yeah, I think after like so it's just the attacking side of things. 
yeah, like I, I, I think particularly after a final loss like that, you do need to do, you do, you do need to do something to freshen up the change room. Not just we're talking players, but changing like so it's not just a like that same old, same old feeling. You need something, somebody in there with fresh ideas, somebody who hasn't just gone through the pain of losing a, a major final, who can look past that and just bring something new to the change rooms from a coaching perspective. I think. It doesn't have to be a manager change. I'm not sure. Roy is out of a job now. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't. Um, I don't really see the fascination with Arsene Wenger if he once said it. And I don't. I'm not just saying that as a Tottenham fan. What I mean by that is, I'm just thinking of it in the respect of how it ended at Arsenal, and he hasn't done anything since. That's a lot of time out of management. Oh, I just would have liked to have seen. I just would have liked to have seen him maybe do something and then maybe take the English manager. Well, if it was, then he, he wouldn't be up for the England. You'd assume he'd been sacked then if he was available to be England manager. So it kind of worked uh, both ways there. Uh, I suppose it's difficult. I, I suppose it depends on the nature of the job that he was at. There was a line on um, an ESPN report, and they said one of Southgate's strengths is his ability to tread a steady path between the cheerleading and condemnation. But his cautious, deliberate approach has, has also proved to be a weakness as something which may be holding the team back. And just something to just unlock the gate a little bit there. Just if he's learning constantly, which the improvements, as you've referenced, we can we can assume that he is, then it may be just something little is just all that needs to be done. And he's not going to be a whole new man, but maybe it does just give us that little bit more of an edge going into the next tournament because clearly the players love him for the most part so if we're, going down, see how we go. if we're going down your hypothetical route as well I don't really yeah. see the squad changing too much either to be honest but no, I, I think there's, those, there's few players but those three are going to be the ones aren't they that are probably most yeah. at risk um, obviously you bring Trent in when, he, when he's fit but Henderson, we imagine, would have to be significantly improved to dislodge Pickford. Yeah. Before before we move on, if we just kind of have a look through the squad that we do have and say how we feel that they performed in particular and whether they exceeded your expectations or did the opposite and disappointed you, I'm not too sure. Pickford, obviously, a great place to start. I don't think any of us were sold on him going in. I think when we did our podcast picking the squad, we all essentially had him in just because we thought Southgate would essentially, and that was re- mainly our reason for putting him in. Is he's anyone di- not being charmed by him during the tournament? He's a completely different animal, I think, when it comes to tournament football, like compared to his week in, week out performances, isn't he? So he saw a bit of both, I think. But for the yeah. most part, I do agree. He even just looks different, just carries himself differently to how he has done with Everton this year, I think. Mm. Well, the guy um, who I work with is an Everton fan, and the whole way through he kept saying, like, he's got that in him, and it's maybe a worry that we actually haven't seen that so far. And then, what, he had a funny spell, funny 15 minutes against Denmark, and that was as yeah. bad as he got? Yeah. He, he was a guy who I think we could feel confident in for the most part, and the defence obviously played well in front of him, but he, we conceded from two set pieces in the whole tournament. 
We didn't see any of Aaron Ramsdale, obviously. I think the less seen of him, probably the better. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sam Johnston, uh, we didn't see any of either. Uh, Carl Walker. Fabregas tweeted during the game last night that he was his player of the tournament. Yeah, that was a bold shout, wasn't it? Yeah, I think he must have made it. He had a, he had a good last two games, didn't he? I, I think I said he was probably the most at risk of being dropped prior to that, so maybe that spurred him you on. Inspired him. But yeah, he, he got as it went on. Yeah, for sure. Um, Luke Shaw probably in contention for player of the tournament. We got to say uh, with his performances. Um, yeah, goal scored yesterday, which is actually a lovely finish. Yeah, great. And then it seems rough to say the guy we were seeing at Southampton as being something to, to say about him, but it was the player we've seen is what United bought and what we saw probably, I think Brad said yesterday, and I don't know if you'd agree, Goff, the player that United has seen since getting beat by Spurs. It's, it's just so good to see, isn't it? It's just one of those things where everyone was aware of how much of a rough time he had with Mourinho in charge. Mm. And him to come out and yeah, be the player which we thought we'd signed originally. It's just as a United fan, it's just really good to see and hopefully it continues. Yeah. Seems mad now, doesn't it? Uh, any debate between whether him or Chilwell should be starting? Well, Chilwell didn't make the squad for the final. Yeah, he's it has been a con- continuation of his form at United, hasn't it? It's, he's yeah. just gone from strength to strength. Yeah. Um, Johnny Stones um, has a rough season, the one before this one. Uh, Rumours of United, uh, City trying to ship him out and there being a lack of takers for him. Um, mm. Comes to this season, Laporte gets injured, he forces his way into the City side. He wasn't devoid of errors, but for the most part, defensively and offensively, he he was great again, wasn't he? Much like twenty much like twenty eighteen. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he's. I don't know. We're going to come on to Maguire as well, but as a partnership, yeah. they uh, they look solid for us, don't they? I think defenders are often judged on the mistakes, aren't they, that they make, and the fact that for sure. no mistakes are made means that you're going to have a good tournament. I I saw a uh, slightly sarcastic tweet from you today, Goff, I believe, uh, regarding Harry Maguire. <laughs> and I was only I was speaking to my brother uh, yesterday, and I said to him, seeing Harry Maguire this tournament reminded me of why the nation did fall in love with him in 2018. <laughs> because yeah. Troy in our group chat commented on the way Saka has kind of been taken to by England fans, and he said, I don't recall any player kind of being unanimously fallen in love with like this. And I said, well, Maguire, Maguire in 2018. What, what did we want? We wanted his face on the uh, £20 note, didn't we? <laughs> uh, in 2018, like the second he came back into the team, it the debate was over, wasn't it, as to whether he should be starting games. He he was insane. It's got to be that inflatable unicorn because it was Maguire on the unicorn in 2018. <laughs> yeah. This year. <laughs> he He's a joke though, isn't he? That's, that's what you want from a defender you pay that amount of money for. Like that's the kind of player you want. He has, he knows when to go forward with the ball. He he showed bravery in in, in attacking it and not shying away, being a leader when he needed to be. And 
I think that's probably why you see the best of John Stones alongside him. Hard to say a bad word about him this tournament, other than we wish he could have been probably fit sooner. I I don't want to sound petty, but I think there was some. He did. I can think of at least three chances from set pieces of where he probably should have put the ball back in the back of the net. Is that not a fair thing to say? I think that's a harsh criticism, but it's. I don't think you're wrong. I think it's probably harsh when you're reflecting on his tournament to say. <laughs> He yeah, scored an extra goal against Ukraine or something. But but one of those chances was in the final, and one of those was against Denmark when we hadn't won yet. Which chance do you have in the final? The, the chance he had yesterday, you're not holding that against him. <laughs> no, he did have it. He did have it. No, not the one. Not the one. Over? Yeah. Christ, you're. That is I thought insane. he. I'd, High standards. I think. I think. Are we thinking about the same chance? Yeah, or did he have more six than one? feet above him, and he hit it probably at the highest point, admittedly. But that I is, think I'm thinking of a different one. I, I, I thought. thought I, I, I think this is. I can hear Goff's fist clenching down his mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, Maguire's biggest problem is is the fact that he hasn't been as good this season for United as he has been, like you said, 2018 World Cup uh, and then obviously this tournament. But the fact that he's wearing that United shirt, I'm probably sounding biased now. (laughs) That's why I put that slightly sarcastic tweet out, is if he was playing this season in a Leicester shirt without that 80 million price tag, would he have got A, as much negative attention? Yeah, and B, criticised him. I forget his 80, that is brutal. Yeah. but Don't let him out for pre-season, Goff. But watching United a lot more than obviously you wouldn't if you weren't a United fan, he does do a lot of things which don't necessarily get get the attention as much as a bad performance would. He's the Ursula of centre-backs, you're saying. <laughs> wouldn't go quite that far. <laughs> he is improving as well, isn't he? He's only getting yeah, better. Yeah, he is. Is the key thing. Yeah, he, he, he was brilliant. He... Um was completely trustworthy. I think some of the Italian centre-backs that we were marvelling at, I didn't think they outperformed Harry Maguire. Just no, I think we were no. looking to praise them more than we were looking to praise Harry Maguire. Mm. Um, I, I think he I think he was brilliant. Um, Kieran Trippier, what, what what would you say about him? Do you think he had I a good tournament, said... a bad tournament, an okay tournament? Yeah, I don't think he really put a foot wrong when no, he did play. No. I think his best yeah, game was at left back in the first game. Probably, yeah. Maybe. I think that was a game that day. That, that, that's not me being disrespectful. That, that ball he put in in the you know in the final for sure is again is a good ball as well. He's kind of uh, I've, uh, I've overlooked that. You're right. He's he's pretty much a. Uh, he's definitely reminded us of what he can do. Yeah, if you haven't seen him too often. Useful, steady addition to the squad, isn't he? Reliable. Uh, I don't yeah. remember much about that other than the ball being in the air and then <laughs> yeah. being in the air for an age. Um, <laughs> do do you think, um, TK, you may be the least objective here, but I'll ask you. Um, <laughs> if you're in Southgate's shoes, is Trippier good enough that you would keep him in perhaps to the detriment of the younger players, whether it be Reese James or whether it be Trent's? Or is he someone that you can perhaps sacrifice in the short term? Yeah, I, I do know what you mean, and I don't. 
and and this could be me being totally biased. I don't know that Trippier does anything that you wouldn't back Trent to do. No. As well, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, if he, I think, is one of the most at risk of being phased out. But at the same yeah. time, should he get a move to United, for example, as he's being linked with, if he's playing every week for them, yeah. then I think Southgate's just going to have exactly the same problems he had this time round with the right backs, <laughs> where you're going to have all these guys playing well. And you know, even if I'm a fan of, for example, Lamptey, if he's yeah, oh, in, for in sure. great form, if he's in great form, for example, you, you're going to have the same old problems. And yeah. I, I mean, I don't think he fancies Trent full stop. So I think he was almost begrudgingly putting Trent in the squad. Yeah. I think the injury was probably useful for him. And yeah, I think that is uh, a, a position whereby we've got such great depth, but it is going to cause him a problem. Yeah, I don't um, want to insult you here, Goff. Um, if you were Ed Woodward for the day... <laughs> um, I'd kill myself. <laughs> what's, what's the match price you're prepared to pay for Trippier? Oof, that's a good question. How old is he now? 31? 30. I think he's 31 later in the year. Depends how long his contract is as well. Do we know so how that, long? He's got uh, I think he's got maybe even be two years, so I think they have the extension. Yeah. It, Atletico apparently want 40 million. Are you prepared to pay that? I'd say that's probably a bit steep, to be honest, given his age. But. It, it depends what, like how often you'd be playing him as well, because well, if Juan Bissaka is obviously a lot younger, you want to bring him on. I saw him referred to as the best lockdown defender in world football yesterday as well. So <laughs> it's mental you're going for another right back. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is, do you sign <laughs> do you sign a 30 year old to? No, I know like, exactly. If to back up right back, yeah, yeah, you don't spend 40 million on a backup, do you? If you woke up tomorrow and you'd signed him for 30 million and you had to go in front of a crowd and defend it, do you think <laughs> you'd be able to put up a good enough case? An angry this, mob. Is, this is a mental scenario that you <laughs> are put on a stage to say, defend this signing, Goff. There's people <laughs> with fire and sticks there. You've got to talk him down. <laughs> Don't make me do it. If he's being brought in as the first choice right back, there'd be no problem. But if okay. he's being brought in as a sub right back, Perhaps 25 maximum. Yeah. Um, no appearance to uh, Connor Cody or Ben Chilwell. Um, I think everything we said about Harry Maguire, you can probably apply to Ben White, but he just didn't have the chance to do so. <laughs> um, maybe he'll have more chance Ben's next season. Huh? So I am a fan of Ben White. Oh, well, me too. I, I know oh, it, yeah. actually. <laughs> In a long-term fan, I've heard. <laughs> um so Reese James had one appearance. Um, I don't know if I'm being harsh. I thought he was quite disappointed in the game that he did play, which was the Scotland game. Yeah, he he was, but then so was Shaw on the opposite flank. I thought yeah, well, that yeah. that's to be his worst so, game. So was the team obviously Shaw kind of carried on playing. Sorry, I said so the whole the team as a whole were disappointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Just him. Um. Onto midfielders then. So you got Declan Rice then. So seven appearances made during the tournament. TK, uh, West Ham fans have been offended by you previously because they do think you dislike Declan Rice. Um, Did I? I didn't know that was a, a thing <laughs> thrown my way. I'm just guilty of everything. Blind me. Did your estimations go up, down, stay the same of him 
from what you've seen during the tournament? To be honest, my my opinion on him is kind of it's just an up, up trajectory throughout this season. I think he's. I know, I know there is a tendency for West Ham fans to go, see, this is what we've been talking about. But I do think he has consistently been getting better as well. I do yeah. think over the course of last season, he got better and better. And I thought in this uh, in this tournament as well, particularly in the final, I thought he was great. Um, yeah. Put in a massive shift. And I, I think he's at times fortunate in that he is kind of the only player we've got who is going to sit at the base and do that work. I, I don't think anyone... I think the other midfielders are going to look to do more. If you look at Phillips, Henderson, yeah. Bellingham, all of them are going to look to be uh, just a little bit more adventurous than Rice. So I think he benefits from that he's perfect for the role, but he has been outstanding as well. Obviously, the, the two of them have both been. Yeah. Um, Alex, when you turned up yesterday, you you did try to sport your own Jack Grealish style haircut. It didn't quite work. <laughs> but um, what do you think of the tournament he had? Um, I think he made the most of the opportunity which he was given. Um, I think there was a lot of, um, there's a lot of fan bias when it comes to him. Um, I mean, like with, without a shadow of a doubt, I think uh, when you break down what he actually brought to the games, I mean, obviously he did deliver the decisive assist against Germany. Yeah. But I think, a lot was Southgate was praised for having like making him like a, a sub off the bench, a super sub effectively yeah, for us, a game changer. I, I don't entirely agree with that. I think you either make the decision to try and work him into the squad on a permanent basis. I mean, for me, if you weren't going to start Saka in the final, I fancied Grealish over Mount. Um, and when, when Grealish was brought on against Italy, he, was good at drawing the Italian a lot of the players the Italian players towards him and creating the space in the league. Yeah, yeah. He was very good at drawing the attention of the players, and there was a, an aura of confidence that was brought into the into the team when he came onto the pitch. Um, so I maybe would have liked to have seen more than that. Um, but I, I don't basically to summarize. I don't think there was a lot for me to turn around and go, oh my God, why yeah. on earth is he not making the starting lineup? But at the same time, I kind of see we kind of need to work out a way of giving him a shot to get in on a permanent basis. Didn't look like a hundred million player, did he, Goff? No, no, not at all. Uh, Goff, uh, I think when when you look at Grealish and I think five minutes into the game yesterday, I saw a tweet saying, why is Mount on? Get Grealish on for Mount now. <laughs> Can, can you at least understand why he wasn't a part of Southgate's system, having seen the way he played during the tournament? Mm, yes and no. It's like, obviously, Southgate's a massive fan of Mount, as we all know. But I didn't quite understand why Grealish would start, wouldn't start ahead of him in that right-wing position. Um, Mount does do a lot of running. And don't get me wrong, still, I think there's still a lot more to come from Mount, but he there's still such a rawness about him. Whereas, I don't know, with, with Grealish, like Alex said, he he made the most of the opportunities which were given to him. But again, there's yeah. there's still more to come from him as well. We just need to find a way to bring that out. I thought his lack of directness showed exactly why Southgate didn't want him on in that position because he was bringing him on on the wing each time. He wasn't bringing him on in the 10. 
I think he brought him on in the tank once, maybe. Mm. And that was against uh, Scotland where he drifted. So I thought if that's the way he wanted to play, then I can understand why he wasn't seen as the guy for doing that. Um, but also, I, I don't think he did anything wrong. So I'm kind of sitting on the fence. So I think he did what he could with what he had. But uh, I think it needed to be like a 4-2-3-1 or a, something like that if he was going to play. He needs players running around him, really, doesn't he? Like, if he's going to draw a defender towards... We need to get him on the ball in good attacking positions and we yeah. didn't really do it a lot, did we? He's... Because something that we've kind of scooted around is that we actually shifted Sterling yesterday for Mount as well as dropping Saka because Sterling was on the right and Mount was on the left. So, considering the form Sterling had going into the final, it's even more strange to do that. And the way that Sterling and Shaw have been playing together on that left-hand side as well. Yeah, baffling, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Jordan Henderson, Goff, if we stick with you, um, wasn't fit to start the tournament much like Harry Maguire. Didn't quite force his way into the team in the same way Maguire did. But in hindsight, can you see why Henderson was brought as part of the squad? I know there was a lot of stick for the fact that he made it and he was in the team injured. I think TalkSport said that uh, Gabby Agbon Lahore said he was selfish for going <laughs> along with the squad. Do you think Jordan Henderson justified his inclusion? I, I, can, I can understand why he was taken. It's, he's got tournament experience, as Gareth keeps banging on about. Um, you need, obviously we've got a young squad, you need experienced players. He, he didn't do a bad job on the, the times he did come on the pitch and was called upon. Um, I don't know who else would have been taken ahead of him in centre mid. I think all Ward of the Price was the guy, wasn't it? Yeah, but again, I think that just comes down more to the whole Henderson's been there and done it before, whereas Ward Prowse it's harsh on Ward Prowse, but I think that's what swung it for Henderson in, in the end. I don't think Gareth would have taken him if there was any chance whatsoever of Henderson not being fit to at least play some part. No, I'm. My my thing with Henderson is I probably seem to be more of a fan of him than perhaps I am. The same way with Trent when I was defending him over Reese James going into the tournament. In in the same way uh, TK said about Declan Rice earlier, I don't think there's anyone that quite does what Henderson does in the same way that he does. But I don't think it was a case of him or Ward-Prowse whether they were necessarily fighting for the same role. And I couldn't think of a better person to bring on in the situation yesterday after about 60 minutes than Jordan Henderson when we were trying to keep tight and get a foothold in the game. Agreed, yeah. But I also think moving forward, Rice and Phillips have kind of, they've got the shirt at this stage. It would take a something special, I think, to shift them out of the partnership that they've had if they can build on that. But Henderson, I thought, I thought it was ridiculous beforehand that people were doubting his inclusion. Um, I I suspect it may fall into something Goss mentioned earlier with the shirt yeah. Maguire wears for his club. I think this may have crept into that one, shockingly. Yeah. I think yeah. it may have done. Well, especially with it being out from Lahore, you'd imagine he was campaigning that Ollie Watkins should be in the sides and it's like, we'll get on to the strikers but is it if, if Hendo if a half fit Hendo was in and someone missed out you thought oh my god he has to be in the squad how's this guy not in I could have understood some of the outrage a yeah. little bit but I didn't really see that yeah um, 
next one up, you had, you had Calvin Phillips. So perhaps a surprise inclusion for the first game. I don't think we were certain that he was going to be the guy starting. And certainly not the guy that would be playing seven games during the tournament. But if Rice solidified what West Ham fans have said about him, uh, TK, then Calvin Phillips has solidified what the Leeds fans have been saying about him also. Yeah, so that's nice. That's two um, reasonable fan bases that can work. <laughs> that's, that's phenomenal. Covered, covered the second most ground in the tournament. Do you know who covered the first most? Mm. No, go on. Jorginho. Blimey. Yeah. Don't think of that, do you? Ah. But Calvin Phillips, probably, would you say his best game was the Croatia game where he gets the assist? Yeah, I think I think so. He's he's probably the player who's come out with the most enhanced credit, isn't he? I think yeah. just in terms of to the to the masses as well, it seems him or Saka I see people quite literally saying, Oh, this Calvin Phillips is quite good. I think yeah. even if you didn't particularly like him, I thought you'd probably have at least, you know, a bit of an idea he was the right player. But, yeah. like, I said, didn't I? Probably around uh, I think it was the Man City game where Leeds beat them where I kind of conceded that I'd been going back and forth and I wasn't really sure how I felt and then kind of almost as if it was like I'd just heard like a, a new song he's completely charmed me and I've loved watching him <laughs> since, that, since then and him and Rice were a joy to watch in the tournament the fact they hadn't played together before the understanding they had between them because you very rarely and the Scotland game probably was the only one and I think we've pointed out that most of them had a shitter there the understanding they had that you you very rarely saw both quite out of position. Like if one went, the other one knew where they needed to be. And if if that can be built on, then that's a great base for your midfield uh, international uh, level. I think we probably we can't um, we can't state enough how much that probably did help Maguire sure. and have yeah. good form yeah. as well because they had that protection in front of them. I think they're both players that if they don't get that can be exposed quite badly but if they do they can they can look top draw so yeah. I, I guess that side to it you say about Southgate didn't form a good enough uh, attacking unit I do think the way he was able to mould that is impressive I've got to give him that side yeah. there is that side yeah. of the coin as well um, I'll go to Goff here then uh, AJ after Goff so during the tournament uh, United have defied what Arsenal fans have been being told for months now that you can't make signings while the Euros are on in that they've actually agreed a deal for a guy who's in the Euros. So Jaden Sancho is confirmed now. I'd imagine we'll get the picture of him in the kit and all sorts probably over the next week. Um, I thought we signed him last year. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't want this to feel like a loaded question if, it, if it's coming across that way. <laughs> Seeing him in the tournament, has that done anything to affect your excitement seeing many United shirt? Were you one of the ones that was particularly excited to get him in a United shirt? And kind of what are your thoughts for uh, the player that you signed? Obviously, like, you can't dispute his record in the Bundesliga, so it's exciting no. in that sense. It's more it's more just relieved to finally have got it done because it was, <laughs> it was an absolute circus. There's no two ways about it. I think in terms of the tournament he had, he obviously had very limited chances in game time. So you can't, I don't think it'd be fair to judge him on how he's played in the tournament. Um, yeah, my opinions on him, on my opinion on him hasn't really changed. Uh, just Let's just see what he can do going into the season, really. Obviously, as we've seen with 
Werner, for example, it's very different coming from the Bundesliga sometimes to the Premier League. But yeah, we'll just we'll see what he can do. Yeah, I do think he's perhaps going to have it even more harsh because he's English and so mm. obviously he should know exactly how you play in the Premier League. Um, but I think United fans may have made a rod for their own back there in what they said about other teams' big money signings, including Nicolas Pepe. <laughs> AJ, you have been, other than Harper, probably the staunchest Mason Mount defender of this tournament. How do you reflect overall on his five games at Euro 2020? Well, hold on, hold on. When have I been defending Mason Mount? You defended his selection pre-game yesterday. No, I didn't. <laughs> and you, you said were quite he had, about. And you said he had a great game the game against Denmark. I I said that he had a good game against Denmark. I don't think he was. But I didn't say he had an amazing game. And I didn't defend his. I certainly didn't defend his. Um, his inclusion in the starting lineup yesterday. What are your thoughts on Mason Mount's tournament? I think I think I don't I think uh, I thought he had some good contributions at times. I thought he didn't quite live up to he didn't he didn't quite live up to the when you got when you talk about Mason Mount, you've got two people. You've got your jacks who are literally he well before the tournament he was saying he's england's most important player um sorry that actually that that. yeah that was sorry that was that was uh my brother uh who said that but jack probably wouldn't be too far behind um <laughs> if he, he, he'd just be whispering it um and then you've got people at the other end of the scale like yourself who don't don't really I'm, see, I'm see somewhere in, i'm somewhere in the, i said he was probably from the way Southgate played him probably top five most important players yeah so for for the weight so I guess for the weight that Southgate puts on him in terms of the level of importance he has in that squad in that starting lineup and the way that he wants to go out and play I I don't think he quite I don't think he quite cut the mustard I think he was a little bit off the pace. I think there were a lot of times in the match, like yesterday, for example, of where he ended up being pushed out wide. And that's where most of his creativity came in. In that situation, I'd rather have Saka and obviously Sterling, who can at least do it, like penetrate from the wings and give you some other option other than passing it back or whipping it in. They can run at the, run at the defenders and drag some players in and create some opportunities. I think it didn't quite work. There was nothing really creative through the middle of the park from him. Um, I, so yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it was, I don't think it was enough to put it bluntly. I don't think it was enough. TK is Mason Mount, the new stinky one. That's hard. (laughs) Alex, he stunk this tournament. (laughs) at half time I'd be amazed if there was anyone sat to his left or right <laughs> Look, I said on the I said on the pod prior that I, my issue with him is it's not that he's like not good it's just I do wonder where he fits in in terms of he can kind of do everything, but he's you're not going to put him in a wide position over some of the options we've got. You're not going to put him in a deeper position. Wow. You say that. 
I mean, in terms of what I would think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Southgate would put him in goal if he had to. Um, <laughs> you're not going to do that. So you're probably left with a guy who, if you end up playing in number 10, you might play him there. But even then, you'd rather have players like Foden or Grealish in there who are more creative, albeit slightly more, maybe more of a defensive liability. But I think that's where Southgate needs to let the hammering off a little bit and just go, right, we're going to have someone in there with a bit more flair. Yeah. I think there's, there's very few other managers that pick their number 10s based on their defensive attributes, are there? Uh, it, it does happen because it's not like Mount isn't creative at all. Do you know what I mean? If he was just like a workhorse player, then you go, what is he doing? But he does have some creative, creativity, but compared to the likes of Foden and Greenish. And no, I get, yeah, it's I meant um, way that there's very few that consider that as part of their as picking, a primary. Not, for, not that he's picked for his defensive ability, but there's very few that aren't picked probably because they don't defend as well. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they, managers would normally sort of build a team to allow for maybe that's someone who's a the luxury bit, position. Yeah, a little bit more. But obviously Southgate's not not in the mood for that. Um, Phil Foden made three appearances throughout the tournament, injured for the final, uh, started game one, started game two, if I'm not mistaken. Start game two. Scotland. Does he start that one? I don't think he uh, did. He? Yeah, he did. Yeah, is he did. It, isn't that why he, he did his hair, wasn't it? Yeah, he's, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, he's, he played three games in the tournament. Do you think we expected more? He started very quickly. I mean, he had the first clear chance for us of the Euros against Croatia. Yeah, if that goes in, maybe... Tournament, maybe as it goes from there. I actually think he's a little bit unlucky. Yeah. I actually think he played okay in that game, um, and it's kind of drifted. And you know, short memories in football, we were coming into this thing saying he's going to light the thing up. He's our talisman. Build around yeah, yeah. him, like a system. We're just going to all build around him, and kind of quickly kind of moved on to the next guy. We're never far from you know Grealish or Saka or whatever. I don't think he played bad. I just no. think. As you know, going back to a previous point where Kane and Sterling are humans, and then the last position, Saka, I actually think it just style wise is a better fit for it, just a bit quicker, more direct, and played well when he got the chance. So Foden couldn't get back in. So, yeah, Foden did start against Scotland. So it kind of feels like Foden had a poor tournament and not what we expected, when in truth, he probably did okay, but then just couldn't get back in. And obviously, yeah, ends up getting injured, doesn't he? Yeah, he came off after 63 minutes for Jack Grealish. Mm. Against Scotland. Um, a couple more players then. So, Saka kind of showed what Arsenal fans have been wanting everyone else to see, I guess. Uh, played his way in. I think I quoted a tweet to you before he started against the Czech Republic, TK, where I said, uh, if he plays, then he'll probably make himself undroppable because yeah. of yeah. what he does. And then very quickly, that, that was the case. And not to make this a Bukayo Saka, uh, Bukayo Saka tribute pod, but a lot does depend on how you make your kind of debut, doesn't it? Um, especially yeah. as a, a young player. And Saka came in as a young player, I think uh, one of his first starts, he played in the Europa League away at Frankfurt. And uh, we got pretty much pummeled all game in classic Unai Emery fashion. And he scored a, he scored a peach of a uh, curling effort from outside the area to uh, win the game. And then he pretty much played every Arsenal game from there on. And yeah. it was largely similar here in that he just took his chance. I think the first time he got the ball, he drove straight at the defender. He got an assist in that game. 
scored in the friendly uh, before the tournament. And he ends up being the guy that misses the penalty to cost it all. And I don't know if my timeline is perhaps a bit more protected, but I expected to see a lot more critique going his way after the final whistle. I was almost a bit scared to check um, Twitter. Um, the only guy that I did see uh, throwing any abuse his way is someone we mentioned on here before, idiot uh, whose name rhymes with waft. Um, <laughs> is the literally the only person I've seen criticising Saka for the penalty miss. Considering how football is today, especially when you have football Twitter and just some gutter fans across social media, mm. the ones I've seen have been fairly kind to Saka and certainly not critical. And I think that maybe sums up the way that he's played this tournament in that he does seem to have charmed a nation. Yeah, I think that all plays part of it, doesn't it? I mean, I saw a hundred tweets, I think, saying, uh, don't you dare criticise this man for missing a penalty. Before I actually saw any tweets yeah. for missing a penalty, I was thinking, before you, everyone was getting very, very uh, protected before the event, before anyone even said anything. Um, yes. I think if you searched um, just the tag words, protect at all costs last night, Saka probably would have been the guy. <laughs> In um, uh, Sancho, probably a bit hard done by that um, he's going to miss out there, but I guess he didn't take the last one, which is what people remember. Um, hopefully, if they do redo uh, Football's Coming Home in the future, it's not his name in the commentary at the start. Um, <laughs> but no, took took his chance. I think he'll have a lot more eyes on him in the Premier League next season. And... Very intrigued to see just how far he can go. Uh, would you say he's done enough that he's kind of got the shirt in that position for now? Or is it still very much game by game, do you think? Game by game still, as ridiculous as that sounds. Um, you don't think Southgate's pretty set on uh, it? No, I I think... thing is, like we've spoken a lot about how um, how he's going to work that system up front how it needs to be more fluid. It just needs to be more successful with the attacking talent that we've got. I think that's the curse in itself with the with the talent that we've got in the squad. You get the likes of like Greenwood suddenly coming into some amazing form. You've got Sancho does like really well at United. A lot of things can ch- like like I said, a lot of things can change over a season. I just think it's 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 not a, it's not taking anything away from what Saka like right now, if you if you say right, if the World Cup's next week, Saka's a shoe in for me. 100%. That's what I'm saying. Do you think he's got the shoe in there? Uh, I, I I think I don't think I think he should, but I based on what we've seen, but I don't think it's going to be as clear cut as that with potentially the way the lineup could change moving forward if we're going to hopefully see a more fluid, more attacking way of going about our games. I, I just hey, think I said for now, not moving forwards. Yeah, if, it, if there's a game tomorrow, he'd have the shirt, wouldn't he? But yeah, I think yeah, yeah. If he's yeah. over the international race, you'd expect he's going to be yeah. flexible in those positions. Yeah, you'd think you'll try and keep, uh, you know, the same defenders as far as possible because you want some sort of solid base. But I'm sure he's probably going to try out most of the attacking players, isn't he? Do you think United would let us loan Sancho to carry his water bottle again, Goff? Or do you think <laughs> he paid too much? It depends when he moves to City. <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare <laughs> um, 
Jude Bellingham, three appearances across the tournament. Um, didn't see too much of him, but I guess we've seen enough to know that he's a guy, as kind of cliche as it is when they say, he's going to have that shirt for the next 10 years for the country. He, he does certainly seem to be that kind of player, doesn't he? And it'll be interesting by the World Cup, 18 months down the line, is yeah. he going to be a player that you think, right, we can't not play him? And then you've got interesting with the Rice Phillips dynamic. Yeah. Well. yeah, right. Sorry, you're good, but this guy's unbelievable. So Calvin's probably wouldn't be wouldn't be too averse, and this is probably dreamland. When you look at the the way Italy's midfield were positioned, you could have Rice Phillips and Bellingham in there together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Again, it's a it's a formation tweak, isn't it? But yeah, that's one of those things which. Going back to what Byron was saying, is you use those friendlies for, don't you? Put Bellingham, yeah, yeah, and see what yeah. happens. He's going to have even more eyes on him moving forward. That Sancho isn't a Dortmund now as well, because he's your lone guy out there. Yeah. Um, Harry Kane, very mixed bag. Um, starts horribly. Um, people are calling for him to be dropped by the end of the group stage. Stank. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Gets a goal against Germany if we're fair after it. Poor 80 minutes. Um, has a has a ball against Ukraine. Is hit and miss against uh, Denmark in the first half. I thought he picked up in the second half if we ignore the penalty. Um, but he's last to put it in. Mm. And then the final, very poor. Um yeah, he's, he's good for the goal, but outside of that. He's just it's frustrating is what I'd say this tournament. Yeah. He, he's the player, he's the player <laughs> that you hold the highest standard against and he didn't deliver. That's it. Oh. Yeah, he said kind of, 100 million. He definitely didn't look 100 million. No. Nah. Nah, on that evidence. I think he, he's also saved a little bit in the respect that none of your none of your big name strikers that we all sort of called for the golden boot going into the tournament didn't really deliver or stand out. Um, uh, if you look at the top scorer chart, it's pretty much they're all level. Ronaldo, uh, pretty much the only one. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. uh, the uh, Czech Republic guy. Uh, yeah, I George, mean, I thought you were talking about big names standing out. Yeah. Uh, He's thinking, oh, let's go. We weren't picking out Patrick Schick before the tournament. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, th- that's what I'm trying to say, though, in terms of none of, I think he was saved in respect that there wasn't another, like, compare, like, um, uh, like Mbappe, like didn't yeah. exactly stand out and go. Like if we were doing the comparison of who City should buy, Kane, Mbappe, Haaland, we weren't really turning around and going Mbappe. Or like Mbappe's performed in this tournament. Why aren't City going for him over Kane if they're going to go and spend silly money? Um, you know, I think he was safe in that respect. But he is, he is the, he was, in, he is going into tournament. He's England's best player. He's your, he's your main man. Um, forget that he's got the captain's armband because I've never really agreed with that. Um, but he's the he's the guy who you need to be the most clinical, the one who needs to perform. Um, and I just, it was, I, well, it's going to be the same as what I've sort of said about Grealish and Mount. Good, not enough. Tyrone Mings has fired shots at Pretty Patel while we've been on the air. Yes, God, Siren. Tony, you don't get to stoke the fire at the beginning of the tournament by labelling on our anti-racism messages just to <laughs> politics. 
and then pretend to be disgusted when the very thing we're campaigning against happens. What a man. Tyrone. Um, Sterling then, TK, take it away. As frustrated as Kane has been, he's still somehow got goals as well, though, which is the weird thing. He's still (laughs) come away with four major tournament goals. So it just kind of frustrates me even more, thinking if he'd have actually played well, how many he could have got. Yeah. Firmino has very much created a thing where strikers aren't necessarily criticised when they don't score, but the one thing Firmino was doing was he was being praised in that meantime was because he was helping to create goals in that time. And so largely you'd say for Kane to avoid criticism in these instances is when he's not putting the ball in the net, then he should be creating for others. Mm. And the issue is that when he wasn't scoring, as we've alluded to, he wasn't doing much of anything at all. When so, he doesn't play well, he just looks horrible as well. Yeah, yeah. Running through three goals. I'm sure he lost a yard this tournament as well. I do. do you think he was? Do you think he looked tired going? Do you think he looked just? I, I think that's said. too convenient an excuse. I mean, he's had more time yeah. out than most of the squad. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think it's a given that he looks tired. He's been run ragged by Spurs all season. Is is bullshit. And you know, when you've got a player that when you look at, I know he's, you know, he's, I know he's one of the older players in the squad, but he's still what is he twenty seven now? For Christ's sake. His prime. Yeah, he, he'll yeah, be. You know, it's it's not as if he's he's not as like he's not thirty five for Christ's yeah. sake. You know, you know, it's no, it's and he would have he's got the best care around him in the world. You know, it's yeah. I I think it was uh, more of a how he handled himself. He wasn't he wasn't up. To, there was times where he didn't look up to pace with the game, okay. not from a fitness perspective, just up to pace with the flow of the game. TK, uh, take it away when it comes to Sterling. I mean, it's funny Gosh, you say about Kane scoring goals because I've watched some of these games before. <laughs> Sterling scored, but I don't know how well he's actually played it. But uh, he he got better as it as it carried on. I thought um, the assist and the um, for the opening goal in uh, it was it against Ukraine. What was that? Sorry, the assist for the opening goal uh, is um, it the Ukraine game. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was thinking I'm going crazy. Um, so I, I think he's had a really, he's had a really good tournament. I was, you when you watched him in that first game against Croatia, you were thinking, I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if this is going to be his tournament, and he kind of has turned around. But uh, I don't know. Question marks do still linger over him for me. I think as good as he played, I don't, I don't know if he's quite top top draw as a player. Do you think- so all it takes all it takes is for him I think to all it takes for him to sort of lose his place in the squad moving forward is for him to not like be slightly out of favour as Guardiola rotates the city um, he was out of favour coming into yeah. the tournament he hardly played did he picks him regardless yeah, oh, but more so, more so than usual, more so know. than he has been. Like, don't, well, it, it, he goes more season. out of favour than he was coming into this one. He would have to have eighteen months of being out of favour. I think he'd have to have a real stinky eighteen well, months. Some some people would say to you, TK, that um, Sterling, the, with what the goals he's put in this tournament, he's perhaps avoided the right to have that level of criticism labelled against him because there's a lot. If you if if you look at any critique on Sterling's name. 
there are a lot that would that would say anyone kind of criticising that are out of order because he stepped up when others didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have noticed any criticisms to is dangerous, dangerous territory. So, uh, I he has been good, and I do actually think some aspects of his game probably don't. Some of the runs he still makes that you know don't come off, I think are really good. Probably don't get the props they deserve. But I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think you watch a game and are still fully convinced by him. I think much like others, he did dwindle slightly as the tournament went on. But I think not to kind of beat the same drum, we got more conservative as the tournament went on. So I think that ties in with 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 that as well. Like he was given less free reign. Yeah, I, I don't think he ever hides either. I do think when moments get tough, I do think he does. He will yeah. stand up and counted. I just, I just question how. Yeah, I think if he's, he's very, very good. Is he top draw? I don't know if he's quite on that top level that we sometimes uh, bill him to be. Last two players then before we uh, get on to Conor McGregor, um, Marcus Rashford got uh, five appearances throughout the tournament. Uh, didn't start a game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what do you think of his tournament? Yeah, the stinker, to be honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I. It was always one of those where it's known that he's been carrying an injury and whatnot for however, however many months. He was never gonna get the operation he he wanted, he needed to get because obviously he's the type yeah. of player who hundred percent wants to go to the Euros. But hindsight's a wonderful thing. It would have been better off just saying to him that we're not going to take you, get your operation done. Because he's not really done himself any favours. Even when he was brought on for the penalty in the final, I was saying at the time, I was like, just don't bring him on. I don't want him anywhere near the pitch right now. <laughs> but that's coming from a United fan who, like I've said before, will defend him every day of the week. Yeah. But I think, I think to he, be just fair, to, he just needs to have the operation, just put this behind him and, and move on. Yeah. He He was top of the list, I think, for people who for logical people wasn't going to get too much critique I think bringing someone on to take a penalty very rarely seems to pay off um, uh, so it certainly backfires more time than it doesn't unless you're Louis van Gaal maybe <laughs> Calvert-Lewin a guy that we were disbel- in disbelief last night uh, AJ and TK um, that he wasn't coming on to take a penalty when you look at a striker someone that can hit a ball cleanly someone that's taken them for Everton in the absence of Sigurdsson when he's been in and out of the team do you think it, it, it seemed a strange move to bring him when any of the times that kind of suited his game he either wasn't in the squad or wasn't considered yeah he did come, across, he, he did come on against Ukraine didn't he I, he came not... on against uh, Scotland with two minutes left and he came on against Ukraine with what ten minutes left, mm, something like that. Yeah, yeah. He's, and there was all sorts of noise coming out of his, sort of his camp that he was confused as to what was going yeah. on. I think we all were, weren't we? I, I don't, yeah. Like you said, there are instances where you'd probably think, right, we need to just change it up a bit. He would be a different option, uh, or instances where you think, right, we need to see the game out. And he's kind of yeah. ideal for that, really, in terms of yeah. his ability to hold the ball up and his work rate chasing defenders down. Would have been perfect for it, and uh, yeah, just just never got a look in. And the he wasn't in the squad for Denmark, was he? No, no, it was a couple of times he wasn't in the squad, wasn't there? Yeah. So I think, and definitely not bring him on for a pen. I do think was a was a miss. Yeah. I think. Well, it, the thing with that is, and the same with the Russian one. I think if you if you play them and they miss, I can kind of understand that because they're 
regular penalty takers, and if they miss them, they miss them. And if it's because of inactivity during the game, whatever, so be it. But you've given yourself the best chance yeah. by putting them in, I think. Mm-hmm. By, by going for the unknown, I think that that's when it gets turned on the manager. Yeah. Um, so we've, I think we've covered all bases there, and we still need to get some McGregor talk in before the end. So if we uh, wave goodbye to you, AJ, thanks as always for coming on, Goff. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Cheers. We'll uh, speak soon. We always say it, Goff, hopefully in the happier circumstances next time. <laughs> yeah. Have you got to, have you got to ask you, is there any movie? Okay, popular? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this week on Movie Madness, we are doing Zombieland versus uh, Avengers Infinity War. Ooh. Oh, uh, Avengers Infinity War. Just this, this David V. Goliath there, and it's not one where <laughs> David, it's not one where David, uh, it's not one where David pulls it out of the bag. Goliath absolutely squishes him. That's no disrespect to Zombieland. Great film, but Endgame. It, it's uh, it, it, so was it Infinity War or Endgame? I just Infinity War. Was, Infinity Wars on a on another level. I don't think it matters if it was Infinity War or Endgame. To be honest, <laughs> no, it's, 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 Zombieland it's, 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 it's such a great great film in itself. It's one of those like it, yeah. it should have got more praise when it came out. It's it's just yeah. so. I think I'm going to watch Zombieland tonight, so I'll uh, report back. But until then, adios. Adios. All right, TK, UFC 264, before we uh, close the show here. Um, If we kind of run through the main card, spends longer on some than others. Uh, First real fight that I think we were particularly interested in, uh, Illyrio Tapuria defeats Ryan Hall question for you is Ryan Hall boring or is he kind of entertaining enigma I find it really entertaining I because we're not going in like it's not like we don't know what he's going to do we know what he's going to <sighs> do and it, the question is is the guy going to have something to be able to deal with it yeah I, I think he's really entertaining I think something like that I think you may have tweeted this before saying like he is what makes the UFC great yeah and just someone like that, where he's so specialist, I think is is interesting. Do you think he would wear off if he fought more regularly? Potentially, yeah. potentially, but yeah, yeah, I think seeing him a couple of times a year is fine. Yeah. Um, then we had uh, Michelle Pereira defeating Nico Price, <laughs> sneaking by on a uh, unanimous decision. Um, I guess we got what we came for here. We got the weirdness of uh, Michelle Pereira. We got Nico Price being as uh, just game as it gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, he just left it a bit too late to close the show. Yeah, but Pereira's stinks of a back against him at any point because that gas tank, someone's going to expose it, aren't they? Yeah. Um. Sean O'Malley then defeats Chris Moutinho. Um, just a zombie opposite O'Malley in this instance. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, I mean, that's another level of toughness. Because yeah. he was eating him. It was kind of a losing battle for O'Malley as soon as it went past a round. And then when yeah. Herb stops it the way he does, it's kind of an even worse look for him, even though he's not the one that stopped the fight. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's... It was it should it served as another good showcase of his skills and you could see and I said I said to you I know I said to you and Roy that he's the perfect sort of mix of skill and vulnerability because you're still yeah. looking at him 
he doesn't look fully convinced in the legs and that they could, you know, once you've had a couple of injuries, you yeah. must be happening again. And the gas tank did look a little questionable. Yeah. Did, like, because he was obviously having to get for a lot of work. Yeah. You know, often. Uh, yeah. Which is interesting. You probably look at a guy like that and you think, he's quite a tall guy for the weight. How well does he make the weight? There's a lot of question marks can be over him still. And yet he can still look so good. So that's a, it's a good mix. Yeah. Do you think we can safely uh, eliminate now that he said he was going to be a bigger star than McGregor? I think when anyone says they're going to be a bigger star than McGregor, you can. Yeah, almost guarantee that that isn't true. He's a freak. No one's yeah like him in this organization. I've, we've also said it's not in the UFC's interest for you to be as no, big as Gregor. No. Um, Taito Avasa defeats Greg <laughs> Hardy by first round stoppage. Um, essentially, we saw there's like two types of heavyweight fights in the UFC, and it, it, you can get a normal two Avasa fight, or you can get this. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, we got the right kind this time. Greg Hardy thinks he's got him, goes to close the show and uh, shows just how much of a rookie he is. That was unbelievable, wasn't it? And then two of us have put on a show after the fight as well. I actually thought that was a that was an instance of, and you wouldn't back him to use this moment, but that could be a moment where a kind of a star's born because Greg Hardy, obviously, we know the profile he's got in America. Yeah. To take him out like that in itself will send certain shockwaves, but walking into a Spice Girls track and doing a shoey straight on the side of the cage yeah. straight after knocking that is kind of like, if you think Derek Lewis kind of basically became a much bigger star by yeah. in an interview, that kind of could have been two of us's moment. It could see yeah, yeah. And he does have skills, he does have abilities, just like he said, there's too many performances where he kind of leaves them at the door and yeah. just thinks the place out. If he can keep his head down and, and do something, in terms of the personality he's got, and what he brings to the table in the heavyweight game, he could be, you know, a star. In that. I He's mean, not going to be the top top guys probably, but he he can be interesting. You'd think if you're a promoter, then you put him against a guy with no wrestling on yes, your yeah. big pay per view cards every time because he's cheap. He doesn't. Uh, well, he doesn't have. He does. He's not in a position to make many demands. People tune in to see him. If it's you're not paying to see him but he certainly bolsters it when you're making the decision that fight was perfectly placed on the car wasn't it really yeah in, in that spot I think it was perfect um, then we had Gilbert Burns sneaking past Wonderboy quite depressing for everyone involved apart from Gilbert Burns <laughs> um, I was hoping to see him cry again but unfortunately <laughs> didn't have the luck there and then finally we get to uh, poor A. McGregor um, and as we said many times before, you can say ahead of time that you're perhaps not as interested in this fight as, as you could be as soon as uh, McGregor's music hits or even McGregor fight week, mm. you're dialed in. I think the only one I haven't been dialed in for was uh, Cowboy, where it was like as, as painfully obvious what was going to happen as what did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This one. The bad blood intensified during the week. Connor did his thing where he gives you the, is he back? Is he actually back? <laughs> and then very quickly things took a turn for the worse. Within five minutes, we've seen him, well, shooting leg kicks, which he called a bitch move pre-fight. <laughs> um, initiating the takedown himself, yeah. which he also said, first person to shoot a takedown the dusty bitch. 
um, yeah, he started well on the feet, didn't he? And then gets taken down and couldn't get up. And the damage Dustin did when he was down, those albums yeah. were horrible, weren't they? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I actually do think so there's, as is commonplace, I actually do think some of the reaction to the fight, I've seen a lot of people saying, well, look, McGregor's just washed up, he's done. And I thought, well, I think the way he started it kind of showed me, we said, didn't we, that he's carrying himself with yeah. confidence. And he, he looked, movement was more fluid, he snap on the shots, he looked fine. I just think Dustin's elite level as well. I think if, if yeah. McGregor maybe not quite where he was at his peak and come down, I think Dustin's caught up and maybe overtaken him. So you had two yeah. guys near the top of their game and Dustin's just got more in his arsenal at this point, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, I don't like that since the fight, see McGregor's coach came out today and said, you know, he was actually injured going into the fight. Um, we had to get some scans on his ankle that maybe that caused it. They didn't find anything before, but you never know. The, the myth is well and truly gone now that McGregor handled, handled a defeat with class. Well, this was about as bad as it gets. I don't know if you've seen the clip that came out today, someone filming cage side. Of, of him pointing what, the guns. The so guns. He was saying, uh, you and your wife, uh, I'm going to get you in your sleep. Classic. Saying you won't, you're not going to make it out of this. This isn't finished. Uh, I'm going to put you in the ground. And guess why? When you, when we were watching on screen, and Dustin points to him, and Rogan says, "I'll oh, speak to him after." He was trying to kind of say, listen to what he's saying. Um, he he looks like the old man in the corner of the bar these days who is kind of looking just for a chance to prove how tough he is, tell you he can scrap it and it's not going his way each time. Four years without uh, a meaningful victory now. Well, I'm not counting the Cowboy one. <laughs> and it's kind of maniacal, doesn't it? When you, he's obviously sat there on the floor yeah. broken, screaming all sorts. Like, this guy just looks like a lunatic now. Yeah, especially when he said beforehand that Dustin was going to leave in a stretcher. I don't know why they say these things. It's like the universe is always going to get you back. It almost always guarantees you are leaving. Yeah. Isn't it? It's funny you say about the, him, you know, the, the thing of him taking defeats well, being blown out the water and that. I do think that kind of all leads itself with the general reaction to him and his, how he took the loss has been that people are either bored of it or really just gone off him, which is interesting. Yeah. And I think, I've, you know, we, I follow a lot of people who were would have been down as McGregor stands, if you will, and they're all just kind of like, yeah. Just my oh. my Facebook memories on this day is me as a McGregor fan today. Oh blimey! <laughs> yeah, status is uh, saying the McGregor era and all stuff like this. <laughs> we had a few things change quick because literally, I think he's an asshole now. The <laughs> Everything about him, like I saw some, I saw some people today saying he should have a comeback against Justin Gaethje. Come back against Justin Gaethje when you, your legs just been blown yeah. to pieces, and you come back against him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick McGregor to beat Dariush if they fought next week, and he was fully fit. You wouldn't. No. Blimey. Anyone that I think can put the dog on you, I'm yeah. not picking him against. Yeah, yeah. Because 
McGregor and any of his fans saying, well, there was still another, he was about to go into the second round, is completely taking out of account anything that's ever happened once McGregor gets out of the first round. Like More times than not, it's about to go downhill. Well, we saw the direction of the fight, didn't we? Yeah. Because I, I saw two of the judges call it, scored it at 10-8, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So I don't necessarily agree with that because I think in the first half, when scoring a round, I do think in the first half of the round, he had enough success where you thought, well, this is competitive, at least. Where, But in terms of that's just scoring as round, if you're looking at it as the, you know, the, the entirety of the fight, when someone has success in a round is important in the direction the fight's going in. And it was only going in one direction after that, wasn't it? You saw when he got, got up before the, the leg break, he looked... Like Destiny kind of taking yeah. his soul, didn't he? As we've seen countless times with Connor, I he, like he was probably going to get a highlight reel in the next in the next round. If we're honest, I actually agreed with it being a ten eight. I thought the damage that was done, like it, I didn't think was it. legitimately standing over. Like you need to show me something here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did think he was going to jump in at one point. I wondered if maybe because of his uh, O'Malley stoppage, maybe that created even yeah, more. Damage. He, he normally does like to let it run as well. I think we see a lot of the times that once that aura of invincibility goes, people are suddenly that extra little sh- half a bit they're going to put on their shots that perhaps they, they would have stepped off of before. They're more than happy to continue doing it. And that, and that was the thing, wasn't it? Is that Dustin was happy to stand in there and, and trade. Well, the and shot that happens... Back. Yeah, the reason McGregor goes for that guillotine is because... Um, yeah. They both trade shots at the same time. Uh, Dustin takes his head off the centre line. McGregor leaves his straight there. He yeah. gets caught with the shot. They back up to the cage and then McGregor shoots the guillotine. Yeah. I have seen him getting some critique for the guillotine, which it was obviously like nearly there. Mm. Whether you're a jiu-jitsu black belt like some of these guys in there or whether you're just a standard MMA fighter, like you believe you can cinch up a guillotine so I have no issues with him pulling that the only issue is if you don't get if you don't get the sub then you have obviously put yourself in precarious situations so particularly as you said obviously that you only count knockouts <laughs> prior to yeah this. yeah but, but um, I, I think the initial one you can understand I think yeah. like you said Diddy had it and it's, but there's only when he goes back to it you're like yeah this happening now you've got to realise that surely I didn't really agree because they had um, Max and Teddy Atlas um, were doing the punditry after. And they said that it was, that was McGregor's Hail Mary. Like he, he'd blown his load at that point. And I didn't think it was that. I know he'd been hit, but I don't think McGregor was like, this is last chance for me. I need to jump this guillotine. No, no, I didn't think that. I don't think that's what happens when you have these two guys kind of covering your biggest pay-per-view of the year. Yeah, I, I think it was convenient as well. Like you said, he he had been, if not hurt, certainly he'd felt the shot from Dustin. And by doing that, obviously, you do get yourself a bit of respite as well. But as you said, you, you are also, if you don't get the sub, you are leaving yourself vulnerable. And um, you pointed out uh, immediately after um, the stoppage that it's probably worked in his favour. Um, a lot of us said the same. We, we'd pay to watch the fourth instance, wouldn't we? This is the thing, and they'll they'll repackage it well as, you know, that, oh, well, Conor was actually having loads of success in that first round, and he was going to come out and do this and that in the second, and 
people have got short memories, they can kind of do the the men in black thing where they that thing you thought yeah. you saw didn't see. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of worrying. I'm thinking kind of like McGregor in terms of how you can repackage it and sell it to yourself because obviously. In that regard, it's the best thing that could have happened to him because it looked like he was just going to a legitimate loss, not a not an yeah. injury stoppage, which would have been chaos for him. But obviously, the, other, the flip side of it is one of the things that's badly affected him has obviously been his inactivity. Yeah. This is keep him out, out for a little bit, and then as soon as he's back from injury, he's then going to start training again to go back into a fight with him, presumably. Yeah. Well, and physically, I just don't know that this is any good for him. You'd think. Dustin's going to fight for the belt in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. If Dustin wins the belt, Dana will 100% make Connor Dustin for the belt. Yeah, 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 yeah. He will, which is even crazy. He hasn't uh, won at lightweight since Eddie Alvarez. Uh, since, yeah, Eddie Alvarez, the, Con- yeah. the Cowboy fight was at 170. Yeah, um, so he definitely I think will. the Diaz fight makes the most sense, both coming off a loss. Um, you can sell it on the back of the first two fights. Um, Drink cash out then. And knock it on the I think he'll keep going. I think he doesn't. I think he'll want to go on a win. And yeah, agreed. At this stage in time, I'd pick Nate to beat him, depending on what weight it was. Blimey. Well, mainly because I, I don't see Connor knocking him out. I think if he's going to knock him out, he'd done that already. <laughs> Maybe I, I kind of, I kind of feel like at some point, Nate's chin just had to go. So he just have to be. Like, yeah, for sure. Beyond. But Connor that, isn't that, it? Connor isn't punching the same at 170 either. No, no, it's true. There we go. Um, I think that should just about do us. I mean, we spent a lot of time on England, but there will see plenty more unfolding, I'm sure, over the next uh, week or so, so we can get into that as it comes. Nice. Thanks again for listening to another edition of Spitballing Pod. We'll be back. Goodbye. <laughs>